and under the seriousness of nutrition, by way of example, when I first engaged in this area of law, back in 2003, I was working with one manufacturing fabricator of parts for the commercial communication centers. And he also was an average shoot um, in Marcus Mountain Lakes, and we would go to training and we would go to at the end of the next 14 years to say, we were talking about the car controls. We decided to talk about today's four level world in Hungary and New York. His question to me, and I told him, in particular about the car registration requirements, was you got to be kidding me. So let me answer this question. I have um, resigned as a retired Arizona highway worker who reset. And he likes guns. He does some fencing in that as well. But really, what he's doing is he's talking about triggers, going to dog tail in there. Um, he's just working on 9 11. Doesn't really make any money. It's more of a hobby. It's kind of stuff. You're going to this guy has to register with the Department of State and pay, which was at the time, $1,750, $1,750 a year, making registration, although all he does is work out of the garage in Tucson, Arizona. Okay, that's a good question. New area for me. I get four departments of it. And the first one phone is that we have to register. Um, because I have to pay a fee. But we can do this. And that's a very tight regulation that is enforced because for as a church point back and forth and that yes, I asked me that yeah, that's fine. Five hundred thousand dollars of violation by the right now. And as you know, changing the administration continues to be pushing the policy. But should requirements very much something that applies to people like myself, always advocates for applying, but a lot of times that's pretty much close to applying because it's down to activities. So, what I want to talk about here today, time to do, is really what the ITAR is, what it does. How it, how it infringes on Second Amendment freedoms of individuals who have no connection necessarily to the international trade at all. Um, what's happening when we start to regulations, those restrictions, and then some, some light that, that's clear in the public and some of these that we might be getting in the next years. Now, I call stands for the International Traction Monitoring Commission, by the Department of State, inside its bureau of of defense trade controls. This bureau is not even in the front of the it's in the hands, and it's been perpetually understaffed, um, underfunded, and we even see general functions arise on staffing from the Department of Defense to help them make their mission of licensing, um, compliance, and enforcing. The folks that are being involved are the career folks that try to do their best, but they are overloaded with work. And the reason for that is because the ITAR is very overbroad. So overbroad in how it defines the items and activities that are subject to control. And it's overly it's, it's strict in requiring a license or other form of authorization. But pretty much all the activities that are subject to this regulation. So, for instance, in our starting point, actually, is, is the ITAR controls defense articles. And what is a defense article? A defense article is uh, harder software technical information that's described as a enumerated on the ITAR's United States Munitions List, the US and that. US is on the 21 categories of article subject control. 
I don't want to The very first thing is firearms, combat shotguns, both assault weapons. Now, those control that as a category 1A, your sporting rifles. Sporting rifles are on the back Back towards the bottom of this control category, you'll find controls on any technical data and services, defense services related to those items. So stay focused on sporting rifles, sporting rifles, and they define technical data very, very broadly. This is information that you might be exchanging on blogs, um, information you might be having in some other form, or um, it might be just something you're talking about. But technical data is defined as information that is required for design, development, production, and actually use and operation of a fence hardware. This technical data can take form, can take many forms. It can take the form of a movements, drawings. It can take the form of uh, files, software files, PDFs. Um, there's, a, there's a large range of that. With that said, the, the technical data provisions of the IDR are going to be the most uh, problematic ones because the definition of export on the IDR is also very broad. The export definition when it comes to hardware is pretty simple. You physically take this stuff and ship it in the United States. But they also have what's called the investments. And the investment, which is the same as any other export, which is the same, is any disclosure of controlled technical information, controlled technical data for one person in the United States or abroad. So what this means, what that means is, is if you disclose technical information, technical data, whatever that is, sometimes like grab a particle to smoke and try and figure out what it is. If you disclose that to a one person by verbally speaking to them, by showing them documents, uh, that is considered an export that I talked to that one person's country nationality is treated the same as if you took a hard way that's conceptualized by that technical data and this piece of country. So that creates some problems. There's a lot of problems from employees in the workplace and I'm much more person working in one uh, position that doesn't require disclosure and data, and that they can never really get that. The ITARS, the focus on physical exports also includes physical exports or exports that are electronic transport exports where information is addressed. And that's where the internet comes into play. If you post information on the internet, invariably it reaches foreign audiences. And it also reaches foreign servers. And each of those instances, the Department of State treats that as an export, which creates problems when you want to say, discuss, read on a blog, and hey, um, this is how you do this, this is how this type of machine um, machine, this is this, this special tool that we use, adapted for this type of problems. Specifications, um, things that are kind of considered global, that might already be out there, at least in your mind, may not be considered information in the public domain by the Department of State. And they might want to continue to observe jurisdiction over And the other part of the solution has a definition of public domain, which is basically a control of the public domain. The problem is, is that you cannot transmit technical data into the public domain under the process stage rules without any prior approval from the positive US government agency for that information. And prior to generate that information, the agency's position is it's still controlled. And instead of say, getting uh, approval from your contracting officer at DOD, you have to go to this office over at the Pentagon called the Defense Office of Publication. And if there was a rule, you would be able to post this on the internet or otherwise transmit the public domain. So 
That's one of the primary problems that we face with the ITAR and domestic speech is that it doesn't make a difference if you can't reach one audience. If you're talking publicly about the ITAR, and if one person might over here about uh, control technical data, that very well might require a license because the Department of State requires a license or other form of authorization for any export or other controlled activity that falls under the ITAR. Some of those authorizations might come in the form of license exemptions, but generally speaking, what those are is they say if you need certain conditions and you make information calls within this you know, narrow category, you can, you can uh, go ahead and not get a license and make that export. However, aside from additional these requirements, you also have to be registered in order to enjoy this. And the registration at this point for being an exporter to the ITAR is uh, $22.50 a year. That's where it starts. So outside of exports that are controlled by the control things One is defense services. Defense services are those any type of systems that someone provides for one person in the design of operation and use of a file. So take for example, you have a shop and you might have a range. Uh, some people come to visit. Under the ITAR, if you are providing basic training on operation and use of firearm platform versus it's considered defense service, and that requires authorization under the regulations. Another way that the ITAR reaches domestic activities is I mentioned throughout the bar about this registration requirement of 2050 year. Under the ITAR, any person engaged, any individual, any person engaged in the manufacture export of defense articles or defense services has to register with the ITAR. This registration requirement applies regardless of the particular the manufacturers of defense articles. It applies regardless of whether you ever export or ever have any intention export. And it applies if you just have any money taken from manufacturing. Now, that's pretty clear if you're a gun manufacturer. If you're a manufacturing gun, and that's your business, and you're the business of manufacturing firearms, Pretty clear you can register, and it may not be such a big case. Business expense is kind of but the direct registration requirements for manufacturers go a lot farther than that. They set up, for instance, any gun shop on which you might be doing occasional work on firearms. Um, here, the Department of State has a much broader definition of what constitutes manufacturing than, say, ATF or pretty much most anyone has. According to the Department of State, they would consider, say, uh, someone who repairs to a Toyota as a manufacturer of that work. Replacing a fender of Toyota requires an entire building. They would consider that that person to be the manufacturer of Toyota vehicles. So when we look at the, uh, the manufacturing requirements as the manufacturer registration requirements in the ITAR, as they apply to the business, the Department of State had issued guidance back in two years, 2016, under the Obama administration. The guidance they issued was this. There was a lot of people asking, well, hey, you know, I, I, I do some work on firearms. I do rumors that I have to register as a manufacturer. Um, also, in the category, category three of the ITAR, category one of the ITAR is firearms, which is all about things, how much on Category two is does not, those are the things that take over its power. Uh, category three is ammunition for the, the, the 
um, items optimized situation risk and move them to the commerce control risk, which is administered by the Department of Commerce, Bureau of Information Security. The good thing is that the Department of Commerce recognizes the first amendment and they understand they can't control public speech. So anything that's transferred, any article that's transferred from the USML to the EAR, the Administration of the Race of Commerce Control, is not going to be subject to a prior restraint. Um, that they, they transfer to, over the course of uh, six to eight years, they transfer everyone, every other category, every technical data and hardware from all those terminal categories. It's like, yes, so that's going to be category one, two, and three. The Obama administration drafted that rule early on back in 2012 on Saturday because departments at that time and supported agencies and complaints of public agency in terms of quality controllers. Following our lawsuit and after substantial litigation in the court passes, the circuit court of the and Supreme Court, um, so basically, what we're looking at, I think it's a light game in the The light game in the is as a result of a lot of pressure from litigation, uh, I'm carrying over the early reform. The agency back in May of this year issued a proposed notice of ruling um, where they put that cease to transfer sporting rifles and uh, uh, basically firearms that are available uh, at retail um, from, from the United States Militia System of Thomas Controls. This is a benefit in a lot of respects. No, this one's really muffled. This is kind of muffled. This, this, this is just a proposed rule. It's not proposing to transfer everything from Category 1. I'm going to go on to talk to the audio guys and see if they have that big firearms. The caliber of 50 and this is the other caliber of the world transfer over. We would transfer over three automatic firearms, plus the points for the Mr. Murphy, we need to pick up the camera down and step on up, please. 
Okay, well, we'd like I need to get this started. Um, the name of this panel is the Gun Rights Battle from a Media Perspective. Uh, we're Steve Mikowski, who's the writer of Washington, Beacon, Mark Walters, who's host of the National Civic and Armed American uh, Radio, and the CCR TVA director, Stacey uh, Washington, and uh, I have Change the mic, the face a little bit. Give me some feedback quick. I got to go back and tell her. And it still didn't come to me yet. And I'm thinking, okay, something better show up quick. I'm going to have to Does it sound any better? When after dinner about 10 p.m., Alan and I took his dog outside to do his business. He did not have a dog. We got back inside, and as we were getting on the escalator, and then people stepped in front of us, so we said, oh, he said, okay, guys, how you doing? Thanks very much. He says, are you guys here for the doctors? And I said, uh, no, no, we're now that I'm going to tell them that we were here at the Governor's Hospital. He said, oh, no one told me that you're going to be here. I'm the doctors here at GPS. And I went, oh, God, here it is. Warned about us. I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you. They were warned that we were here. By the organization putting on their event here at this hotel. And when I say they were warned, I mean they were warned. They had an email apologizing to them for our being here because they were unaware that we were going to be here at the same time during the conference. But they wanted their doctors to feel good enough and be comfortable being here in the same building with us wackos that they contacted the hotel and were sure. That we were not going to be carrying guns. That we were not threatened. And I thought, this is where's the silver platter for this? Okay. 
What does that have to do with media? That's everything. Where are you going to get this information? Why are they afraid? Who's afraid? Why are they afraid? They're afraid of this one. But it's evil. Evil to choose evil. And where do they get that information? Mainstream media. So what do we do about it? What does it mean to us when we actually hear somebody say something like this? Because we read about this all the time, don't we? People are afraid of this, right? Where do they get Perception is reality, isn't it? And that perception out there is that they had something to fear because the government's policy. Imagine for me, a lot of things are wrong. If the media actually told the truth, when I say the media, I talk about the media. CBS, and you see the media. Imagine if they talked about people who were drunk, who saved his bear on his own life by shooting and killing him. The attacker just the other day did get some national attention. Or the police officers that are alive today because one of us used a firearm to that off. Or the thousand, twelve hundred times a day these things happen. Imagine if the media talked about this all day. What perception would be reality? They wouldn't have been afraid of us. They probably would have been a part of us because they would have that perception that they deem as reality would have been shed in a different light. So that's our job here. Because I write it as much as I hate the media, I'm a part of it. And my responsibility is to help change the perception. 200 radio stations, yeah, it's pretty, it's growing, that's great. Earlier, Stevens reach, Gresham's reach, Cheryl Todd's reach, soon to be Amanda Sutherland's reach. All these things matter. But are we going to change what comes out of NBC, CBS, and ABC? MSD and CNN, and in some cases even Fox News and the rest of it? The answer to that is no, so we have to counterpunch. What is required for us to counterpunch when we know that there are groups of people in this hotel right now that are scared of us? They're scared of us. Because of what we hear and they see, we have to take the initiative. And that initiative is really not difficult to do. Stephen and I were talking about this in controversial here. That is, how do you, what do you do when you see CBS do something like this? Or say something like that, or your local newspaper? Or you, you write a letter to the editor. I've said this repetitively. But it matters. And while editors might not print what they read, they've seen it. They've seen it. And they've read it. And they know that you are there. That's how you push it out. A lot of times it's fine. Maybe sometimes you get it. But when you see it on TV, when you hear it on the radio, when you see it in print, when you read it on the website, please take action. Write about it. Make a phone call. Let that person know that you've seen it. Help like I did with that young woman in your car and fix her. Some of these people are fixable because I don't know about you, but I don't want a group of doctors down the hall from us right here today being frightened of us. Do you? And they are. And they are in large part because of what they see in you. And our responsibility up here, we're going to continue to do it. I know I speak very well, but I'm going to continue to do it what they talk about. But those of you who don't have a microphone or are not ready to do it, please take action. Get your phone up, make a phone call. And that's exactly how the New York was asserted. We would just like the young lady in the vehicle who was no longer afraid of small weapons, not afraid of small weapons. Those people are, at least these doctors are also
And you know, today I just want to talk a little bit about how Oklahoma Swim can effectively change news coverage, improve it for the better. You know, I was speaking in front of a gathering of fellow journalists about a different message about institutional problems and media's coverage of firearms and how. This is the writer who exposed the Katie Carrick fake interview. But since I'm speaking here today uh, in front of uh, gun rights advocates uh, who are very knowledgeable about firearms themselves, I have a little bit of a different message. Um, and that message is essentially um, to interact as much as possible with those reporters that are willing to listen to me. Uh, now, there is a small percentage. Uh, it's two days. It's all day today. Eight to one tomorrow. There's a small percentage of reporters. And there was a bit of stuff yesterday. So plan three or four days when you go to Phoenix so you can go shoot. They don't particularly care about care that their stories are accurate enough. Uh, now, those people are not rich enough, right? Um, but I think the majority of reporters who might experience the majority of my guys are interested in getting their stories right. They're interested in the people there. Um, but oftentimes, they're simply not eligible about all of them. And the same level of expertise is involved. Um, and many of them are not assigned to cover firearms on a regular basis, and that's a big reason why. Um, but my suggestion is to engage as much as possible in as friendly a way as possible with your local reporters, the national reporters that are able to um, when they write about fires. And if they reach out to you to be a voice for the right to use it, I would say, you know, take them up on that opportunity. You know, do your research, try to figure out if someone who happens that small percentage of the well, um, Thank you. 
improve uh, the nature of this coverage going forward. Um, media criticism is important in the project. Working with reporters who are willing to listen and willing to learn is important. So that's all I really want to say. Thanks, Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for having me to speak to today for the first time, the first time attending the conference, and I'm super excited about being here. First, I want to correct a teeny little typo. Urbanliving.com is the website for like apartments in Houston. I've been to Houston. But my business is StacyOnRight.com. We hosted the Stacy on Right show. We've recently been picked up by American Family Radio, so I'm on 184 stations all across the country. And then we also live stream to Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. So um, you can go to StacyOnRight.com or AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com to find out more about that. I'm a wife, a mom, Air Force veteran, Puppy owner, gun owner, NRA member, member of the Foundation. I shot marketing and academia for my life. I like guns. I own them. I shoot them. I love them. Keep magazines for them. I keep all of my little targets from shooting practice. So I was thinking the same thing as Mark. What am I going to talk about? I talk all the time. I can stand up for three hours and talk to you about everything politics, culture family, marriage, Christianity, but this is a gun rights policy conference, and so I want to talk to you about how I actually got here, and it was really a straight line shot from being a stay-at-home mom and volunteering at my kids' school to joining the diversity committee that stopped by the University of Minnesota Elementary School to going on the school board and serving as secretary and vice president of that school board, and then losing the race for that appointed seat, which led me to speak at a tea party under the arch, because I wasn't a tea party member. And I spoke about pro-life issues. And from there, I started doing weekly radio, and then I got a weekly radio show. And then I ended up doing Monday through Friday radio, syndicated, and I was asked, I thought I was being pumped, by the St. Louis Post Dispatch to write a column for them once a week because they didn't have any conservative representation, and they'd just been gobsmacked by the fact that Donald Trump was the president. So I said yes, thinking at any minute that Hannah would come out and be like, Hannah, crazy. And instead, I worked with them for about six months. And so the week of the NRA convention, uh, the week before, I read a story by a professor. He's a like NRA's professor, maybe just to keep the name, of Missouri University. And he said that NRA members were like ISIS. And I was like, I got my column for this week. So I wrote a column about how Newspapers across America have declining um, subscription bases because they don't represent honest views. Like, it is ridiculous and easily disprovable by any five year old that NRA members are anything like ISIS. ISIS chops off heads, they terrorize people, they kidnap people, they wear ugly clothing, and they keep masks on. NRA members are hot, often brilliant, intelligent, well informed, they own guns, and they participate in the defense of gun use of Americans up to three and a half million times a year over the CDC. So 
So I put some interesting things in the article. And I can tell you, it must have been my best one that I've ever written for them because within 12 hours of the publication, we tried to get I didn't publish it, they did. I did not have access to the website to put that piece up. I did not lay the title for people in the newspaper on Thursday. It was published, they suspended me, and then I went to dinner with a few writers and radio hosts that you may well know. And I'm at the NRA convention. This is not this year, but the year before. I'm sitting at dinner with these lonely people, like Mr. Hiss, today, and they're like, who knows here? Why do you even write for them? So, at 1159, I sent them a note, terminated our independent contractor arrangement, finished out my time at the NRA convention, and went home. Well, they believed the fact that they suspended me, but not the fact that I quit, and it became a media firestorm. I was drudged. I was interviewed all over the place, and I'd already done like 3,000 interviews across the country in my time up to that point. But I actually was accused many times by them and others of being an NRA shill, of being employed by the NRA. Now, I've guest hosted camera company, I've done tons of things, I've said hey, I'm an NRA member, but I was not paid by that. So then I start writing for NRA Americans for Freedom and doing some other really cool stuff. And at that point, my show was on about seven, seven stations in six states, and sometimes it would get three years. Well, of course, that kind of notoriety leads to extra opportunities. We picked up about 60 channels, and then this year we were able to go fully nationwide. But the story is illustrative in that we know the media doesn't want us telling the truth. Turn in at any time, especially when there's been a mass shooting, and you'll see them telling you things about guns that are impossible, that you can attach a machine gun to an AR-15, that you can attach a machete to the front of an AR-15, that three or four guns can be attached to an AR-15. These are the diagrams they put up. No wonder people are afraid. No wonder people think they should be afraid of us. Meanwhile, everywhere you go in America, if you're afraid of guns, there's probably one within arm's reach of you because us concealed carry people, we're the nation that keeps every other nation from coming in here and riding around all over us. So what Stacy Washington. This is a fundamental God given right that we have to defend ourselves, and the media tries to make it into something that we're supposed to fear. So, on my program, I talk regularly about the Second Amendment. I talk about how moms carry, how single women carry, how older men carry, everyone carries, and you know, if, if, if it's possible, and how important it is that we speak the truth. We've got CNN on in the airports and in the, you know, the, the libraries, everywhere you look, they've got on CNN. If you're in a hotel and you're sitting at the breakfast area and there's CNN on, all you can do is go tell the little lady who's refilling the cereal, I'd rather watch Fox or I'd rather watch HGTV. I don't want to watch that garbage. Me different now. And they'll do it because you're at the hotel and they don't want you to leave. So I, I echo Stephen's comments that we have a lot to do. Marcus Riley should write letters. But the most important thing we can do is start taking back these common spaces that we have that are filled with these lie machines. 
CNN will never tell the truth about the gentleman who saved the mass shooting in Texas in that church from becoming a whole town full of people who were killed. They'll never tell the truth about moms who branched a gun or mom who shot an attacker in his head in the driver's seat of the car because she went to the gas station and her kids were in there. She actually jumped in the passenger seat and pulled the gun out of her with blood compartment box and shot him in the face to stop him from taking her kids out of that gas station parking lot. They'll never tell that. We will, but they will not. So what we have to do is what we're doing now. We have to do our bit, and we have to make sure that wherever people are who say they're afraid of guns, that they know that the guys who come to rescue our gun never one before. It's part of the reason why we started to purchase firearms ourselves. I've got one when my husband is out of town, and the police were there in a minute and a half, but I realized if they had really meant something, they might not have gotten any time. And from there, I can still carry from it. My husband has one. The kids are in front of the Husband, issue. sorry, guys. And no one would be the wiser except that I'm not public talking about this. So the fear is unfounded. But we have to be ready to explain why we do what we do, why we're the defenders, why we're the type of sphere, and why instead of being afraid of us, they should be grateful for us. Because someone has to hurt the sheep. Someone has to be the sheep off. Congratulations. <laughs> We are broadcasting both live on I think the best part of what we're trying to do here it's our responsibility as journalists, and this I am a part of the We have a responsibility, all of us, I think we take it pretty seriously, to tell what we believe is the truth, as close to the facts as we can get them. To not mislead anybody. I think the other side is called that pretty well, so I don't let them do it. Um, and I was going to talk at length about how I came up with the uh, journalism from uh, well in the last century, but something got my attention this morning. The NRA, I uh, so I spent three terms on the NRA Board of Directors. I'm proud of that. I've been working with the Second Amendment Foundation well, before the Second Amendment Foundation and the Citizens Committee for 18 years now. I'm proud of that. But this morning, there was a piece that the NRA published, uh, and I'm going to pick it up wrong with it. Uh, there was an editorial in the Chicago Sun Times. I don't know how many read that editorial. It was about Chief Wisdom because one guy saying one police officer with a gun is no reason to uh, really get wild and endorse concealed carry. How many times have you people and the people listening seen an editorial in a 
in a newspaper or heard of any that gun prohibition extremists say would be safe for in life. We have to ban these guns. You know, it doesn't work just one direction. That that pendulum swings both ways. If it saves one life, and evidently it did, and, and there's a police officer over in Cicero and a police chief who lauded the actions of the armed private citizen, it saved one life the other day to have an armed private citizen who just drove into the middle of this fiasco. Saw what was going wrong. And he decided to put himself in harm's way and save one life. You know, the life you save may be your own, or maybe your spouse's life, child's life. And I think that's important. Where I come from, I live out in the mountains east of Seattle, and there are things out there that keep. And when I, when I say that, the people that not the homeless people that like, get over here, but I'm talking about things, real things with teeth. We have wolves yeah, in my neighborhood uh, a couple of years ago that started to build on a highway, and it was a big flat about that. Uh, earlier this year, in, in the summertime, What's that? Which line like will be called? Well, that's how the man feels about putting down that. Is this thing loaded? <laughs> <laughs> about five miles from where I live, two bicycle riders were attacked by a mountain lion. One of them was killed, the other one got out of the way. And people wonder why I hear a side of the woods. But fire was walking around smelling watching the drinking uh, We in the West have a lot more uses for a firearm than just self-defense and it's bad guys like But there are stories that are telling I told this. And I will continue to tell that story back down on that and uh, got and I write another book. That's called You Guys for Guns. Hopefully, someday you'll see it on the New York Times bestseller list. But uh, uh, we're going to finish that book sometime, I think, early next year. Hopefully, we'll all be back and then by the time we live. It's important to tell these stories. And from a perspective of the government, I think that's really one of the problems. That Steve, I think I mentioned this to you. When you're dealing with reporters, you want to get it right. One of the things that I ask them, if you were a firearm, you were shot one of the firearms, and I said, well, you don't understand the culture. I expect to be able to write from that perspective. And suddenly that Ford light bulb goes off. Oh, yeah. It's, it's interesting, my experience with firearms and real around guns and guns uh, pretty much all around. So I understand not only the firearms themselves, but the people who own them. And I can write from that perspective. Some people call it advocacy journalism. Uh, I advocate for freedom of speech. A few years ago, I had to see the city of Seattle. 
because they wouldn't disclose how much money they were making off the gun violence tax. Thanks to the Second Amendment Foundation that supported your lawsuit, we won that lawsuit. But I think Steve was also right. Got to learn to work with reporters and trust them to want to restore And that, I see you both. So, um, uh, she definitely brought a come up here and take over the stage, and they are going to run the show. We only have a half an hour, um, but this is a new panel, this is important, and it is our privilege to invite them. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Rob Pincus. Uh, I've been working in the industry in a lot of different capacities for a long time, and primarily as an educator. I was asked. Alan and Steve and Juliet come speak about what it is we need to do or how we might be able to influence the bigger culture and the view of gun owners and guns in the American culture. And Alan says compared to that culture drives policy. I said, absolutely, culture drives policy. Legislators enact, judiciary decides, lobbyists try to control. Fundraisers go out and fundraise, but ultimately it's the American society, the culture of the American society, that drives what policy gets enacted. Not always, but most of the time. We think about things like the automotive industry, think about things like healthcare, think about public awareness campaigns. We have changed a lot of things in our culture over the last hundreds of years. The image of guns, the view of gun owners, the view of gun ownership. The idea of the gun as a positive, useful tool that empowers life and protects life has been twisted. We've lost control of that. We've spent three decades, I've spent three decades involved in the fight for the Second Amendment rights, and I think we as a community have fought very, very well. I think we have done a great job of fighting since the, the dark days of the 80s and the dark days of the 90s and the assault weapons ban. And when we look back and we see that when I started formally fighting, for our rights, and I started being part of that fight. There were what two million concealed carry permits in the country. There were still a dozen or more states, including Texas and Alaska, where there was no right to conceal carry. We look around and think about how much gun rights have been regained. I would make that word regaining, we're not expanding, we're not getting gay. We are regaining lost rights. We look at how we walk, how we regain those lost rights. We look at now there are over a dozen states 30 years later that have constitutional carry. First place I can legally carry was Vermont in 1990. There was a military college in Vermont and University. I can legally carry because there was constitutional carry in Vermont at that time. Only state that was there. 
Alaska was the quickest to go from no concealed carry permits right to constitutional carry in the second state. Now we have over a dozen states that allow that. We have over 17 million concealed carry permits instead of the 2 million. We have over 30 million people who carry legally because of those states where they can legally own guns and not need a permit. So we've seen a dramatic change in our culture. We've seen a dramatic change in our values inside our government. We've seen a dramatic change in the defense of ourselves and those that we love. My Protect What We Love campaign is all about celebrating, empowering, motivating, inspiring the primary reason to own guns. Ultimately, every person I know says Alaska and they'll give up is the gun that they would use to protect themselves and their family. Obviously, the Second Amendment exists so that individuals can be prepared to defend ourselves and our way of life and our country if necessary. But we're losing the cultural world. Guns are denigrated, our talking points are mocked. Uh, our leaders, in many cases, become caricatures of the worst possible representation of the freedom to keep and bear arms. So how do we change that? Uh, the last panel, I think, did a great job of, from Mark's standpoint, representing the idea that we need to control, we need to take back the initiative, we need to be influential, we need to be proud, we need to not let, quote unquote, the other side, whatever that may be, control that conversation. And I think as that panel went on, we saw more and more conversation about engaging, about having a dialogue, about reaching out and actually demonstrating firearms responsibility. I think sometimes that starts with admitting that we have some issues between up inside of our own house, issues of inclusiveness, issues of avoiding the polarization and the diversity that our political scene in the country is so wrought with today. The idea that it's they, that it's them, that it's almost victim mentality. The left, the liberals, the anti-guns. I'm sitting up here on the stage with the liberal gun club. So let's go. How many of you are guilty of saying liberals in a negative way, in a pejorative way, in a denigrating way, just like they are in this cultural war with us? How many 15,000 members do we ostracize? Right? How many people do we lose? How many opportunities to influence the culture? and improve the image of gun owners and gun ownership and celebrate the expansion and regaining of gun ownership. The new numbers of concealed carry permitters, the defensive gun uses, the positive experiences, the scholarships, the youth programs, all of these positive things get lost in the fear-mongering, rhetoric, talking points, sometimes nonsensical way. Let's go talk today. Let's have the dialogue. Let's start influencing culture outside of this room. One of the ways we do that is by influencing culture inside this room,
and decide that we do not own guns, you are harming our cause because we are you. The Second Amendment is a simple right. My organization says we want every single person to have every single civil right. That means all of them. That means the first and the fourth and the third and the fifth and the second. We need to talk about this as a civil right. How many of us talk about guns as a civil right? We don't. We talk about guns for self-defense. We talk about guns as the rights issue. We talk about guns as those liberals are crazy and they don't want to protect their children. They do. It is not irrational to want to protect your children. We have a divide on how to do that. That's what our issue is. We need to bridge that divide. My organization works to bridge that divide. We talk to people that don't normally hear, hey, I'm a gun owner, and one of the ways that I do that, and one of the ways that you can do that, take a friend to the range. How many of us on a daily basis talk about, complain about shooting, but ignore? Shooting's fun. Going to the range is fun. If we can get people to understand that it's fun, then we can talk about the civil right and the fact that if this civil right goes away, the other civil rights go away. That's where we start. Don't go to the range and talk about Trump. Don't go to the range and talk about Einstein. I don't like this either. I live in California and I'm a Trump. I don't like her. But I don't talk about that. I talk about I talk about fun. I talk about let's go do something you never thought you could do. Start there and let's build that community because bringing people in on a positive note is how we grow along. Our world has lost some opportunities. 
Um, she had an excellent opportunity for Black Lives Matter, said no to every town and no to lobbies. BLM folks said very rightly to them, every gun control law you pass part of a fatal white guy in the future when it's squarely a new black man in Philadelphia. Right? We also lost an opportunity for Flint and Steve. That was a perfectly legal steel carrier who was harmed by a off base police officer. We should have been there to him. I'm just going to start to build a deck. I want to talk a little more amongst ourselves as we do that deck. We're going to talk a little more about why these things about culture really matter. Uh, I'll leave you with one last scary thought. Parkland has changed one thing. The other side now has grassroots. For real. It's not AstroTurf anymore. And that is a tremendous change in what we're up to. It means we're going to have to change what we do to be able to effectively counter those people who are out there preaching the other side. It's a truly awful appointment. I apologize for it. It's one of our less desirable exports when we're here and I live in Silicon Valley, but it needs to be part of this discussion about guns and politics and culture. Uh, since last year's GRPC, uh, we've seen the NRA targeted by anti gun politicians and activist groups. The governor of Connecticut compared the NRA to a quote terrorist organization. The same race appeared in the billboard and that activist group up in Cape Horn, Florida. The governor of New York State and called the NRA a quote extremist organization. Now, mind you, their target isn't really the NRA, it's them, it's all of us. It's uh, us in this room, it's our friends, anyone else who supports the Second Amendment. If the NRA exists, then it would be the Second Amendment Foundation, it would be the Founders of America, that would be the target. Now, if you have city governors calling the NRA a terrorist or extremist organization, doesn't this mean they're really calling them as terrorists or extremists? And if once someone is demonized as an extremist, they can be shunned, uh, they can be ostracized from polite society. And if someone is an extremist, that person really deserves, say, insurance coverage, a bank account, the ability to accept credit cards. How about the ability to use the platforms like Twitter or Facebook? How about people to use other platforms uh, uh, like uh, email, mailing list, or video? And deplatforming is what happens when you get kicked off these platforms. Now, this is happening with other groups that have already been demonized as extremists. Pro-life groups have problems running ads on some platforms. Apple removed the pro-life fair app, created by an abortion alternative group, called Coalition for its export platforms. Creator Lewis has videos restricted. There's a simultaneous multi-platform purge in the balance rooms and info boards. Now, VJR is a news site that favors restrictions on illegal immigration. In fact, TikTok included an email platform in the last three months. I mean, you don't have to agree with everything these groups say to be alarmed about this trend of what's being platforming a certain group to a certain point of view. The point of platforming is to win debates, it's to exclude the other side from the debate entirely. Now, it's just a small step from where we are now to be platforming Second Amendment supporters. Uh, every time for gun safety has had already asked Apple, Google, Amazon, and has removed the NRA TV channel. From their streaming platforms. Amazon Web Service, services, moved to the free speech.com site on its platform last month. 
last month of Shopify banned the sale of gun parts from its platform. An article published about guns last month said that YouTube was deleting from its platform gun reviews and food stories. Now, deep platform is a way to remove people with a certain point of view from polite society. This approach doesn't happen in 2016. Uh, but if you believe that you might get suspended from Facebook uh, for incorrect opinion, expressing incorrect opinion about gun control, then you're less likely to express it in the first place. But eventually, over the scope of what's acceptable to talk about, shrinks. Now, what can you do to fight deep platform? You can document your public details, right? You can push back against spans and challenge and suspensions, and remember sometimes these companies screw up, that's not intentional. Uh, where you can litigate, which is what the NRA is doing right now in New York State. And you can decide for yourself whether there should be laws targeting these platforms, which is more likely to happen now. If tech companies and other platforms start abandoning neutrality and start lining up uh, in one side or another on political base. And you can investigate alternatives. Gab.ai is a more free speech friendly version of Twitter. And Pool30.com will ha happily post your firearm videos that you do well. And remember, platforms only have power if enough people continue to use them. Thank you. So what we decided to do was, because there was a Q&A coming up in the morning session for everyone that's involved in the group, we were going to ask each other questions. And let you make it and so these are all just kind of made up. Yeah, I can't even know because the order of coming. What I'd like to ask Laura is the idea of diversity is something that gets thrown around a lot, inclusiveness. And you know, I'm, I'm the one who's not from California to have diversity in this panel, the East Coast guy. But uh, I think it's important to get your perspective on what that really means. I don't think it means you have. A checklist of people in your picture. So, I mean, you're really well versed in this. So, I think one of the ways to start talking about this is Sarah Kate and I were talking this morning. She said, You know, I'm on the women's panel and I'm going to talk about how we shouldn't have a women's panel. And I think that's a really important idea. We shouldn't be having the minority panel, we shouldn't be having the women's panel, we shouldn't be having the other side. We should be a group. When we talk about diversity, diversity doesn't mean other. Diversity means a neighborhood. Diversity means a broad set of viewpoints within the whole. It means that the whole has actually incorporated people who or ideas who were not necessarily part of that or who may have some tension against each other, but who still fit the overarching idea. In our case, that overarching idea is that we support the Second Amendment and we believe that in some way it benefits our various communities and that it benefits our country. So for us, diversity cannot be token inclusion. I am often kind of seen as You we need to do a better job of understanding as a whole the holes are made up of the main parts. So my question for Jamie is coming out of the house and also 
important. How does the gun rights culture in California wire reflect the gun culture in the rest of the country? And how do we act as the warning for the rest of the country? How does that so uh, it's important to note that California has two states, uh, state of Jefferson and state of California. Um, but, but it's interesting, right? Because we've got a very different environment in California. That immigrant base is not necessarily a conservative or liberal. Like it's not clear where those folks live. Um, we still have quite a few purple counties in populous areas, San Diego, California. Uh, but of course, the reality is, is the Bay Area. So, controls politics. Um, what's interesting is, is that the coalitions we build are things like the Pink Pistols and the other groups who aren't necessarily your classic uh, Because again, you've got a situation where most people in California who own guns are likely to vote to the left. They're likely to be both of the left. And those are the people you absolutely have to have. You have any vote whatsoever. Of influencing passes with making it so it's acceptable for judges to overturn laws. This is part of the culture issue here is that a federal judge doesn't necessarily want to hear about this mess when he goes to his country club. Right? We have to keep it that people want to guns is something people do, not something that goes to other people. In your take this wonderful picture of California, we're the largest single firearm market in the United States. We've got millions of gun owners, but we're also leading the way in so many awful ways. Uh, there is that, I think you folks are filing that lawsuit or leaving that way. How do you reconcile the two? What's the way out? So, what's the way out? I don't know. California is the vanguard for everything everybody wants to do on the medical side. We're also one of the highest per capita you know, homicide states in the nation. So, of course, it doesn't work. Uh, right now is going to be the time where California gets very close to full outright bans on various categories. There are no new handguns available for sale in California, full stop. Those handguns that are available will fall off this managing list that requires something that does not exist to get on it. Hopefully, the Supreme Court will take that up if that is soon. And the Supreme Court has been cautious. Uh, fundamentally, the way things have changed in the Supreme Court cases, if you go look forward on each, both color and then denominal, we see a like, 10 point nationwide change each time. In the acceptance of firearms and the acceptance of these things are constantly protected So I think, unfortunately, we have to kind of remain behind the lines when for the courts to bring back some of that Kind of one of the leaders and public leaders in our industry, inside the industry. What did we do better? I think the I think the thing that we need to do better, maybe the first thing we need to do better is 
admit what our mistakes are, admit what our issues are inside, right? So if I go back to really what I do primarily is educating. So I've spent over 15 years as a full-time educator, over 20 years in the industry, but what I've always tried to do is focus on the worst case scenario with guys, right? Personal defense network, the combat mode shooting program, I work with law enforcement, military special operations guys, people who have family stage in their home for personal defense against their family in worst case scenarios in that moment. What I think I have done a good enough job of and what I hope to do with 2AO and I hope I will see a lot more people doing is talking about guns in the everyday and the problems that exist, the suicide issues, the number of teens that commit suicide with family owned guns that weren't kept secure, the issues of gun negligence inside of our community that we fear. National gun educator guy Rob Pincus at the Gun Rights Policy Conference and he said, he admitted that guns can be a problem. Well, do we not know that? Do we not know that guns can be a problem? Guns can be dangerous. Guns can involve risk. But the benefits of those risks far outweigh them if we do the right things to mitigate them. So I think that, that's my job. That's how we influence culture. We prove that there are plenty of people out there that will legislate responsibility on us in their vision if we don't exercise responsibility, promote it, encourage it, and call it out when it's not happening. So I think that's what we do here. Stephen, I got to get you back up here in another couple more minutes. California is the media center of Earth in a lot of ways, right? And how do we perhaps use some of those platforms you mentioned in social media better? And how do we then influence? What the major media does with violence and the everyday use of that change. It's an everyday thing. Uh, certainly, the social media capital, for better or for worse. I, I, we're in a weird time in Silicon Valley politics. For the uh, last, ever since uh, Jane and I were um, involved in internet uh, disputes and uh, regulations uh, from the 90s, there's been this weird alliance between uh, Democrats that uh, were the biggest. Uh, uh, recipient of contributions from Silicon Valley CEOs, and also Republicans who are generally kind of deregulatory, uh, saying let's protect Silicon Valley. This was what Section 230 was made companies not responsible for their users to do um, back in uh, 1996. Uh, that this is how it came to be. But now, uh, this is now possibly changing. And one of the authors of your widening of Section 230 saying last month, hey, I'm willing to reopen this. And uh, if you're clear, if I reopen this, uh, you're going to be bankrupt. This is everything. For everything for user stay online. Uh, so, this is an opportunity for folks who are pro Second Amendment uh, and, and might otherwise be excluded from these platforms to organize and say, uh, this, is, this is unacceptable. We, we actually need to uh, tell these companies uh, they're relatively vulnerable right now. Let's back off, uh, be neutral again. This was the original promise and premise of the internet. And don't take sides because then you're going to get dragged into a cultural war in a way you don't really want to be. We're going to do something potentially unprecedented, particularly for me, putting you or maybe two minutes back to the place Say, uh, just before people normally leave, you ask Margaret, you're a second 
Subject, when you choose like subjects, and then as each person comes up, I said, okay, now Joe Schmo is up there, and now Linda Lou is up there. So we're breaking for lunch. Do you guys want to jump into the chat and bullshit? It's going to be like, what, 15 minutes or something? I can drop yeah. a link on gun channels. And then maybe it'll like, say, You didn't buy it for real. You didn't get me one. That makes sure my feelings are hurt. Smeggy didn't get you nothing either. It was just my finger. If we're eating here, me and Wendell gets done or whatever, I'll go over and look at the dog and film her. The parking lot does exist. Okay. I'll just leave the same money. Okay. You're going to go smoke? Okay. Is he smoking with you? If he's eating, I'm going to smoke too then. All right. The link is on the gun channel site. Feel free to come in and chat and talk about what you heard or what. And then, uh, Roll calls watching the computer, so nobody can steal that. Are you going to be eating? I'm going to leave this here for a bit. Thank you. 
I'm just gonna go smoke, I'll be back. Yeah, yeah, well, guess what? 
and uh, that down there in uh, your other favorite place in Mexico, my uh, Cancun.
Nobody jumped in. There's a link on gun channels. Nine people watching. Let's see what's happening. Oh, we'll call watch it pretty good.
It'll only be a couple more minutes here and then it'll start up again. They'll probably do some awards, I think, during the time people are eating. Then they'll get back into it. I took some pictures of the schedule. I'll post those on Instagram here while I'm farting around. Kevin's right back. Why do you keep putting your coffee on your laptop? <laughs>
Check on the dog. So I'll leave this running. Making a roll caller going to watch it. I was debating that. 
in high school. Where I really started my second amendment. I grew up with a son of a gun right there. Uh, this is where I began. When I was 13, I was taking pictures for a national magazine. When I was 18, I was writing a syndicated newspaper college for 35 papers. I've been doing this a long time. Reading the first television series about self-defense with guns. Yeah, our first shoot on that was with Rob Beacons. Go figure, right? And we were all going to do this together. We created uh, television shows, we had TV shows on Sportsman Channel, we had Outdoor Channel, on ESPN, a lot of different places. Started this little crazy radio show 23 years ago on our gun talk. We're now 250 stations, but it's going to be podcast stations. 23 years ago, then about 20 years ago, you got to understand where we were then. I had this idea, I said, we're getting this anti-gun, anti-gun rights press. But we don't really have a good way to get the word out. This was pretty close to pretty interesting. I said, well, you know, if I can get some volunteers, we can at least get some letters to the editor. Nobody had online newspapers and more comments section. We literally mail letters to the editor. And my goal was to get two volunteers in each state. I want a hundred people. What if I could get a hundred people? And I call it the Gun Talk Truth Squad. And go back to the panel about media. Because the whole idea was, and my motto is, you never let a lie go unchallenged. Because a lie that's left unchallenged becomes the truth. There it is. So, I want a hundred volunteers, the Truth Squad. Right now, the true squad number is 385,000. Thank you. Volunteers, What I learned was that volunteers, you, us, all they want is somebody to say, that's the hill. We're going to take it. And we will. We're going to do it. I have a, uh, a mission statement for my business. On radio and TV shows. The mission statement is simple, and it kind of drives everything we do. And the mission statement is simply this our goal is to make gun control normal, or gun ownership normal, to permanently change the way gun owners and guns are viewed here. That's the goal. Permanently change the way guns and gun owners are being heard. How to get back to the culture? Normalize gun ownership. Now, that was 20 years ago we did the Bruce Law. 15 years ago, something like that, I was writing for Guns and Ammo Magazine. I wrote a call about this group. And the editors of Guns and Ammo said, Yeah, we wondered how many of the readers were the losers over that. About four. It was okay. The other thing I like about the pink is they just tear up the meat because they really don't know how to handle it. They don't know what to do with them. And that's usually the media, that's usually the culture wars. That's, that's the way you do it. And then about, I don't know, 12 years ago at GRPC, I had a lot of people in there. This goes back to the rest of my most 
Because my Twitter here's a rush to party around and say, you know, you guys got to talk about liberals. To guarantee you, there are people in the audience who are liberals, who self-identify as liberals, but their own memories. And afterwards, I have several people come up and go, I have yeah, we can't afford to throw away 10, 15, 20 percent, whatever that is. That's just dumb. Which brings you to a point. What's the goal? If your goal is to make gun control people admit that they're wrong and you're right, you will never get it. Not enough. And it seems to me that some of the stuff we do on our side is kind of geared toward that. I'm going to drive it to you and I'm going to make you admit that you're wrong. And let me just tell you, if you probably know about this, if you start off by saying you're stupid, you're evil, and you just want to uh, be a communist or Nazi or whatever name you want to throw out there, people generally don't respond well to and not only the people you're talking to, but the people who are on the sidelines listening, that's the audience. This is simply a battle for public opinion. Getting, getting, and in. That's all it is. I love the people who say, well, you always have a second amendment. No. You won't. You do it until you don't. You can have it still written into the Constitution. They're not going to appeal it essentially go away. Well, I'm burying my guns in the backyard. Yeah, I'm the main one. How's that working for you? The goal is not to convince them they're wrong and that we're right. And often the goal is not actually to convince the anti gunners of anything. The goal is to use them as your foil while you're actually talking to the audience who's listening to you. What happens then? You want to be the reasonable person. You want to be the one that is measured. You want to be the one that they look at and go, you know, that, that person, the cut gal, she was right on point. She was pretty sharp. She, she seemed like us. When I read the radio show, I said, my daughter is real simple. I mean, it was out of common. So look, this is a missionary project. What I want is for people going down the road to get the stand button on the radio to hear us talk about that. You know, those gun folks. They're really not crazy like the control. More than that, they sound like having fun. That's a win. It's a huge win for us. But when we start getting in people's faces, we start throwing out names like Libtard or other things like that. You lose. We lose. You don't do business. Central question. Do you want to win or do you just want to fight? Question we have to ask ourselves. Sometimes I think people just like fighting. And they don't really care if they win. Because sometimes you win by understanding you don't get it all together. You lose it all at one time, we're going to get it all back. You have to say, okay, you have a long view. I tell people, I say, say, won't you compromise? Yes, I will absolutely compromise. I will reveal only half of my goals. 
reached for gun control, which made our classrooms more vulnerable. So our kids deserve to be safe at school. So the solution to school safety is not the erosion of the Second Amendment, it's the hardening of schools. And armed guards are the best solution. As the Dalai Lama once said, this is a real quote, I searched it up on Snopes, this is a real quote, okay? If someone has a gun and is trying to kill you, it would be reasonable to shoot back with your own gun. So the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. So we have to remember that it's not all about gun control debate. It's not. Securing our schools comes first before all. Our kids deserve to be safe in their classrooms. It requires the assistance of every level of government. Federal, state, and localities. These localities include municipalities, counties, towns, and school districts. Every level has an integral part to play and should not be overlooked. Especially in Parkland, I learned the lower levels of government are of the highest importance because the tragedy at my school did not occur of the weapon. It occurred due to local incompetence and corruption. I have always fought to do whatever I can to honor those laws. It is not about being in the spotlight. It is not about doing interviews, and it is not about going on a photo of bus First and foremost, it has always been about doing whatever is necessary to right wrongs. And that starts making sure that students at Stoneman Douglas are safe at school, because right now they aren't. No security measures have been implemented at Douglas, none whatsoever. For the past months, I have fought a campaign. I was standing outside polling stations talking to voters, Don told us, to make sure that we can elect two parents of the victims, Ryan Pett and Oriol Pett. Both of them lost a daughter to the Broward School Board. While at the same time, my Lovelace counterparts have sadly gotten too big and lost sight of what really matters. And they've directly refused to help at all. And making sure that our schools, sorry, from some levels, are safe again. No community should suffer the losses my had to endure. I never thought that such a tragedy like this could happen at my school. It's a dreadful reality to internalize. But it can happen at any school at any time, so do not be detached from reality. Do not believe that a school shooting like that can never occur in my community, at my school near my house. I learned that the hard way. So I'd like to conclude this with this line. With rights come responsibilities. And you have the power and the obligation to fight to secure schools, to fight so tomorrow's future will be brighter. Thank you. When you won three World Series, you won the best pictures in the history of Major League Baseball, 
people know who you are. When your career postseason record is 11, people know who you are. And then when you go on to become a radio guy and a Second Amendment outspoken activist, people know who you are. All right, you know who he is. Let me bring you up for children right now. Somewhere in this country, my mom is rolling her eyes. You know, my heart is as well. I did not come purposely dressed. All right, and you can't see the flip flops that I have on. Um, but I've had an issue this morning. Have you ever got like a stomach virus and you realize at a very key moment? You're somewhere where there is no help. That happened to me this morning, and that's what my clothes are. So, and by the way, you can't see these. These are pink ripped glasses because they're my wife's. And she actually brought mine down, but I kept them just because I have this thing. So, um, let me just say a couple things. Um, in trying to, to figure out how we got here, uh, by the way, I was born in Alaska, so um, I learned how to shoot uh, a firearm before I was old enough to, to wear a real diaper because getting beat by a bear on the way to school like is a real thing. So um, I've been uh, I was raised by an incredible man who uh, taught respect for for firearms. Uh, I taught my family the same. But uh, two years ago. Uh, this country was asked to kind of go into the political grocery store. Not in presidential cereal aisle, uh, liberals wanted a box of Clinton. They got a box of Trump, and they've been swarming on the floor ever since. And it, you and I all understand. Well, here's the here's the thing. I I, I don't know anyone to say this. I'm in a room of the most law-abiding citizens in this country. I am the NRA. Six million plus people of the NRA are more qualified than our law enforcement officers. And that's not to disparage our law enforcement officers. That's to say and speak to the truth of who and what the NRA is. The last time you heard about a, a, uh, a living member of the NRA in the mass shooter, the mass shooter, and that story disappeared almost immediately. Uh, the next time I got to shoot somebody on the volume. first time, we have gotten to a place in this country, and I am embarrassed by this. We no longer want to hold people accountable. You and I understand uh, the great responsibility that comes with not just owning a firearm, having money in your home. And this country has backed away from that accountability for reasons. Well, I mean, I listen. We all feel the same way. I don't care what color you are, I don't care what race you are, who you worship, who you marry, who you sleep with. I'm going to have stuff matching me. You know, law abiding American citizen. I'm good. And, and that is, we, we have to hear people up there talking. This is another reason why I never went to Because I'm just not, when I see somebody say something stupid, I don't know what's going on. And for some reason, that's. Is the volume okay? You guys still there? Uh, oh, well. Um, and we're watching the playoffs and all this right now, by the way. 
uh, the embarrassment that is uh, going on in DC is a, a microcosm of why this country has gotten to where it's gotten. And it's not something I'm proud of, but this is my country. And I think we have been sorely underestimated, uh, undervalued. We're, we're, we're the dregs, right? We're the quarrels. These people have looked down on us, have talked down to us for decades. Two years ago, it's the time. And unfortunately for liberals in the midterms, that's the way it's going to turn out to be for a pleasant foot. As you saw today's in Texas, we are speaking. Uh, we don't do it. Thanks for feedback. As you see, uh, Twitter and Facebook and all of the social media outlets have gone to extreme lengths to keep us uh, not quiet, but out of the public eye. Hollywood, DC, the, the bastions of, of the, the center of the liberal universe, all of those places represent nothing that I've been Years ago, a long time ago, the, the, the Beltway stopped representing us. And it's been up to us, it's been up to groups like the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, to the guilt of Mr. Valley, and to incredible heroic people that can be held the younger generation in the class of the world, who instead of curling up in a ball after they know who to blame them, has decided to stand up and walk out and dust off and tell his story. And if, if there isn't, a more powerful, if there is a more powerful person to represent that, that, that message, I don't know who they are. Uh, I do a show every every day on uh, uh, for regular, um, and it's a, a, it's a live thing every day, and it's called the Personal Podcast. And um, uh, every Tuesday, I do Second Amendment Tuesday. I have Mark Walters and, and Second Amendment uh, Tuesday. Peter Arana Riffon. Um, and I've become more and more educated as a as a consumer of parables. I wonder why do I have to have a set of different permits to exercise the constitutional right? Why is it? And, and listen, here's the other piece, and, and I know the defense of the left has been, oh, they don't want to take your guys. That's exactly what they want. That's exactly what they want. You know what I mean? They, the, the beauty for us now is they stop hiding, they stop trying to be subtle about it. You've heard them talk about, uh, and, and here's the thing, the English that, that is, is and, and I apologize for, for using this, but I don't know for certain, the, the liberals that in here, I'm not talking about you. You clearly have a, 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 a rational thought, and you can, you can uh, argue and, and debate people differently. I'm talking about the liberals that you know I'm talking about. The English of firearms of the laws is dead. Why is it, as Todd said, our banks? Our jewelry stores. What happened after 9 11 with our airports? We hardened the targets. Our children deserve less. I bet you, and, and I, 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 it would be a horrific exercise if you remember when you go to the day before the Columbine shooting 27 years ago and ask the parents for every victim and every shooting if they could have had an armed guard or an armed security person between a shooter and their child, would they take that option? Every single one of them is going to guess. And you might actually have a little say, no. That's how irrational they, they, things have gotten. Uh, you think about uh, uh, the, the, the approach that we're taking as, and here's the piece. The biggest piece of this is we're doing this without being violent. We're doing this without 
uh, breaking the law. In fact, everything we do, we do by the law, because of the law. If the only thing laws do is affect law by decision, none of that may not happen. But the fact of the matter is, again, I'm going to re repeat this. The NRA is made up of six plus million of the most law abiding people in this country. We are, uh, well, I guess the saying, what is the saying? When tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes your duty. The Constitution was written under the guise of a tyrannical government. They saw what can happen when you either disarm the populace or you force the populace to, to uh, you oppress them, you pass national governments, and all the things that went into that. We're now getting back to a point where the government has lost that control. We know now, especially in the last three or four days, there is a deep state. There are people inside the government actively working against the will of the people. Which, by the way, I know this is on Facebook. Uh, I, I didn't plan on wearing a t-shirt, right? This was not designed. I know the conspiracy theorists are your best, but this is it's wrinkled because I wasn't planning on wearing it. Um, but uh, you and I all know this is not complicated. He doesn't need this out to be uh, an event or a situation. You can't understand it. You need us to have. No, this is very, very simple. The Second Amendment is the constitutional right that protects all of us. And anyone that doesn't understand Are you hearing my salad or should I move away? Here's the other. I argue this. These people don't want to be educated. They don't. They know what they're doing. They're not stupid. Uh, they, they understand all of the things. They want the Second Amendment. We're, we're talking about people that are admitted socialists, admitted communists. Admitted Marxist, which is fine. You can be whatever you want to be. But the Constitution still applies to you. And yes, Trump is still your president. And the fact of the matter is, organizations like this, young men like him, veterans like him, if they don't get to do the things that they do, we don't get to have the voices we have. We are the, the, we are the silent majority. The local minority has Hollywood, has the media, has all the others. Twitter, Google, Facebook, and all those things. And here's the thing. People talk about us whining. We're not whining. We're just trying to make sure you understand the facts are facts. Our voices are being silent. And it's been intentional. And it's not subtle anymore. And that's like this. I mean, this, I, I'm sure you, I don't know if you remember earlier, people in this hotel were warned that we were here. Warned. They, they, and whether, and it's the narrative of, of the left is that we are dangerous people. And let me just repeat this again. The NRA is made up of six plus million of the most law-abiding citizens. Legal American citizens of every race, every color, every religion, every sexual preference in this country. That can't be more, I, I couldn't be more proud to be a part of that. I couldn't be more proud for the invitation to be here and to stand in front of you and talk to you because in a couple months, but in a couple months, we're going to be ready to go to the This is the most important part of life. Make no mistake about it. If you want to know what this country's going to look like after the midterm, if there is a little way, just turn on CNN. The nightmarish uh, irresponsibility and irrational. Uh, approach of day to day life will, will be commonplace. It will get crazier than our. If a man 
who has spent his entire life being the epitome of integrity and honor, becoming the best in the world of what he does, gets all the way to a nomination of the Supreme Court. If the media can destroy him for doing nothing, what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for you and I? It's not the time to be quiet. It's not the time to be violent. It's the time to be informed. It's the time to be involved. It's the time to be aware. And, and, and I, I implore you all to make sure, not just that your friends vote, but that they cast an educated vote. And that comes through dialogue, and that comes through interaction. So thanks again for having me here, guys. I, I really do appreciate this. And, and once I, I, I'm going to say that I apologize for the word vote. Good afternoon again. Every year in Illinois, we have Illinois Governor of Washington. And uh, it has become a kind of traditional event. We had a good crowd um, last year. And uh, in, a, in any state house, we have lobbyists there. We did all friends among the uh, uh, legislators, since it's the legislators. And uh, many others. One of my friends is Kim Huddleston. She's been a uh, Legislative assistant for a long time, and she and I go back a long way. And she was telling me about a second rally that happened on Saturday. And then her grandson wrote and gave an excellent speech uh, at that second rally. And her uh, name is Kim Housen. Kim, how old are you? 15. So I'd like to do uh, Ask him to come up and he will give you the speech that he gave to us at Bible. And it was wonderful. I, I, I welcome him. He's the second, uh, he's, the, he's the new generation of all these many people here. And so, uh, if you please come forward, we will uh, have you uh, give this speech. And uh, it uh, will warm the cockles of your heart, whatever those are. Hello, my name is Kendall Puddleson. I'm a resident of Springfield, Illinois, a sophomore at Baker High School, and a proud American gunner. Before I begin, I would like to thank Rich Pearson and the Illinois State Rifle Association for being bringing me this far and giving me this chance to have my voice heard. I'm deeply honored that I've been given this opportunity. Likewise, I must thank the Second Amendment Foundation and all the groups and organizations to make this event possible. Not often are most people given a chance to have their voice heard by so many that play such an important role in that environment. Six months ago, I gave a speech in front of a small crowd of about 60 people. In the pouring rain, me and some of my my fellow brave Americans mobilized to our representatives at Illinois Capitol in the 
dismay we were at the unconstitutional legislation which many of them were attempting to pass. Unbeknownst to me, this little problem to activism was landing from the largest crowds I ever spoken to. There were 3,000 people back in late April and they were fun fun today. I'm going to be honest and say that despite the experience, it hasn't really gotten easier. As introverted as I am, I Introverted as I am, public speaking is a burden and it still terrifies me. I still have issues speaking in front of even a class of 30, let alone hundreds of people that I do not know. I know a lot of people my age would feel the same. I know a lot of people any age would feel the same. But that's why I'm here. Despite the tone the media always puts on issues and the way that we've tried to twist the general consensus, there's always been a silent majority of people whose opinions just outside of the influence of alarmism and malice. The same rule applies to my generation. There's some misconception that a lot of the political celebrities of my age who shepherd risen from tragedies speak for my generation as a whole. I'm here to challenge that. Despite the age of social media and the desire to fit in, many of my generation find themselves on this side of the aisle in regards to politics. Well over half find themselves to hold moderate conservative opinions on most issues. Many of them have actually made use of the internet as a tool to reinforce the individuality of their opinions. Many of them, the internet has given a generation which is oftentimes been babied by its parents and indoctrinated by its educators a chance to see the real world in full. To judge the truth for itself. The truth is that two thirds of young deaths are suicides. That half a million people, in the very least, are saved by firearms a year. That's nearly 15 times the number of deaths. Not relying on the monopoly of cable news, my generation has had the chance to see the effects of strict, the effects of strict anti-gun legislation in other countries. The fact that anti-gun legislation in the UK has now evolved into anti-gun legislation. The fact that all of that legislation has done nothing to curb gang violence in these countries and oftentimes has become an incentive for breaking the measure. When presented clearly with the facts, the slippery slope in front of us isn't hard to recognize. That's why now it isn't the time to compromise and isn't the time to surrender. Young or old, conservative and liberal alike, now is the time for all gun owners to come forward and be louder than they have ever been. We must not let the American project die, and we must not let corrupt politicians degrade our constitution. To the adults, I say that you are our idols. We must set the example for this new generation to have confidence in their beliefs. We're still children, we still have fears, and we can still be molded. Now is the time to fight back and tell the unrepresented majority of Gen Z that they can come out and fight for their rights, that they need to come out and fight for their rights. My fear is that makes you this, I must ask that you two come forward to voice your opinions. I know that few others in our age can be at every event or represent every opinion of every member of our generation. Take us as an example to overcome your fears and speak out yourselves. Not as those who are speaking for you. We must not stand to have our rights stripped away from us as soon as we step into the world. To any legislator or representative that may see this, I have but one thing to say. Do not compromise on our rights. Shoot down regulations on the Second Amendment and for everyone that passes, propose to repeal to more. Finally, to every voter and activist alike, I have but one thing to remind you. Whenever we come to vote in November, I want everyone of you to remember this. 
that no slave has ever had a gun. And he's proven that I've ever gotten that way without one. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, this part we'll turn over to uh, Alan Gottlieb for the awards part of the luncheon. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, that ending was freaking awesome. This is actually my favorite part of the whole GFRPC agenda. But before I get to that, I just want to really thank the staff and Second Man Foundation for this kids' right to keep arms. All the volunteers who helped put this thing on, uh, all the speakers, all the attendees who got you to the conference. And this year, for the first time, all the more than 35,000 people that are tuning on Facebook to watch us on Facebook live so far. <laughs> Thank you very much on behalf of all of us to get on policy. 
Let me call my name. I was like, I told you I'm not slow. I'm stupid. I can't believe that I'm getting that. Um, thank you so much for giving me this award. I'm honestly, so I, I grew up in Germany and I've been all over the world. And I know a lot of people think that Skyrise people are, they're like moved, you know, Bible planners, stuff like that. I can tell you that if you've ever been outside this country and you've seen the way other people live up in Saudi Arabia, the way they keep living there, if you've been anywhere and you've been under command sponsorship as I have on active duty, and other times that we travel as civilians, this is it. This is the dream. We're living in the land of milk and honey. We have all the rights, we have all the freedoms and liberties. And so it's a privilege for me to get to defend the Second Amendment and talk about God and Holy Scripture and, you know, the things that I get to do because I'm an American. So, thank you so much. Thank you. The next award is the new one. We've never given this one out before. It's my hope that this can give me a First one, it's like, you know, name of Captain Personal almost. This is the Gun Rights Hall of Fame Award, Kurt Schilling.
next one is most is one where we got from the Center of the Constitution. And lots of common people have gotten this work in the past. This year's award is going to be somebody here from the state of Illinois who's done an unbelievable amount of work in your courts for the Second Amendment Foundation as well as the Second Amendment Rights of all of us. Well, thank you, Alan, for this. I appreciate it. And it's very obviously it's very nice to be appreciated, and it's very nice to win awards. But I want to say two things about that. First, uh, I, I don't do this by any means, so I have to thank the Second Amendment Foundation for uh, their continued faith and you know and, and be working uh, with them for them. For their, their cost. I want to thank the clients who stand up and put their name on these lawsuits, uh, who stand up and be counted, uh, who not only they have not only put their name on it and they can step back in the shadows, but they uh, are active, they, uh, they work with me on the cases, they are genuinely uh, not only uh, interested but active in uh, making sure that the Second Amendment rights are advanced. A couple of them at least are in the room. Uh, Kevin Culp, uh, Ron Zell, Matt Wilson uh, might be in the room, uh, just to name a few. And uh, a couple of my co counsel in some of these cases, uh, I think Josh Blazoff and Murphy are out there. And, uh, and, and the work they put in, not only does it advance the case, but it pushes me and inspires me as well. And so I couldn't do what I do without uh, all the counsel and attorneys that uh, I work with. I want to say one other quick little thing. Make, you know, it's, for me, it's not just about lawsuits. I stood in front of the Court of Appeals yesterday, um, Thursday. And I'll talk about that later when it's about the case, but I told the judges that this is not just about it was a concealed carry case. You know, I'll talk more about it later. But, it's not just abstract that people live and die by the laws that are made and the restrictions that are put on and the freedoms that are secured. And those are a number of examples of people who, without their concealed carry permit, uh, would probably be probably dead. And it's 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 not abstract. This is not just legal theory. This is real. I want you to know that I know that. And that's the main reason that keeps pushing me forward uh, to do this. So I want to thank you for that. And finally, one man's opinion, but Kurt, I remember what you did wearing a bunch of stock uh, back in 04, so I'm totally cool with the t-shirt now. Thank you. Thank you all very much. David is part of our legal team on the McDonald case here in Illinois. He's L1, he's L2, and he worked for us in Canadian. And he works for us in Illinois as well. He's as far away as the Mariana Islands, where we've got the last fan on handguns in the United States from the U.S. Third Army. And he 
Bring your guns. Next one would like to give the security of the dollars and support the organization that stayed clean every year. And some people think sometimes the biggest support apps in the organization is that we're going to do a government policy conference. The truth of the matter is, from my memory survey, right, this organization has won some more than 10 out of the last 11 years. I want to say, right, this is the issue. Richard, come up and get another award. I got a bunch of Illinois State Rifle Association stickers to give to our people. Certainly appreciate this with the uh, Illinois State Rifle Association who are here. Please stand up. So, thank you all for all your support. You're not a member? Not a member? The next award I'd like to get is the grassroots activist in the year. This one is the most powerful award that we're talking about in the grassroots organization. This year goes to a fine young lady, Rachel Malone. Rachel? Over, and the right goes over, 
And then the Father, we are able to make it on the other side and we're not in East Berlin here, thankfully, yes, but we're always only a couple steps away from using the freedom that we Christ so dearly. And we cannot do it alone. We cannot survive alone in the fight that we're But together, we can work to preserve the blessing of liberty to our posterity. So thank you for working together. This year, to my Thank you. 
can tell you that I know you don't do this for the recognition, but you know, I'm attorney, so it's nice to have that recognition. Um, you don't take that a whole lot. But uh, one thing I can say is this being an attorney who generally finds himself in the muck of regulations and the amount of unfairness that we see every day in the situation. When this matter first came to light, it was something where it was almost a call to action. Uh, this is something where, and as we'll discuss it later today, this agency has been a bad face for decades of dispositions uh, in the administrative proceedings because they did not like what was being said, and in particular, they did not like what was being said because it pertained to the Second Amendment rights. So um, I'm really honored to reach a level where this case has, has arrived and to have a report that's based upon it. I really, I, I, I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to have to work with staff, best distributed, and administrators. The next award is probably the most important award in the Lifetime Achievement Award. Been some of the hours of history yet to learn to stop working. So I think this award is nominated it's sort of year to year and year to my heart. So I've worked with a lot of years with Peggy Carter. Thank you.
And there's one more award to be given out. This was given out by Jews for the preservation of our ownership. So I'd like that Alan Corwin, who does a lot more work for the organization, to come up with the second award. Hello, everybody. Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership presents the David and Goliath Award to individuals and organizations that demonstrated the courage and tenacity and resolve to take on the opponents of freedom and support the range of human rights, which includes the right to arms and self-preservation. The statue of David represents the biblical character who with his weapon of choice, a clearly visible slain, stood up against and defeated a giant who was deemed unstoppable. It's this selfless act and their compounded results we admire and encourage in ourselves and others. Kyle Cashel, it's my honor to present on behalf of Jews for the preservation of firearms ownership this David and Goliath Award. Congratulations and God bless you. Well, you guys heard it here once, but it is an absolute tremendous honor. Thank you guys so much. Thank God. I just want to say congratulations to everyone who received these very much earned awards. Actually, everybody in the room could have gotten one because you're all soldiers on the front line. Thank you so much. We'll gather again uh, here at uh, 2 o'clock and we'll break it up. Thank you so much. I guess it's a break. Excuse me, if you can please be sure to take your empty boxes and your trash over to the side of the room and fill the trash cans. That will just help us because we're all coming right back into the same area. And that will help us. Thank you. Your mother is not here. She's not back in herself. Like your bad just time for a break, looks like. They like just stopped as you left in the I was listening on YouTube there. It's got to be like awkward to be like listening to the gun rights policy conference on your phone, but at the same time, you have to leave your girlfriend on the phone. <laughs> so, everyone should leave my sweet laptops at night here? Yes. I'll wait. Circle of trust. Oh, shit, I said that in front of the live thing. <laughs> Whatever. Work.
screwed in real life. Sorry. How's the battery? I'm using the city of Chicago's nuclear battery. I could have swore I ate both those apples. There's <laughs> more another apple. That's fucking Alan Corwin. That's fucking Alan Corwin. Yeah. Alan Corwin. It's apple. They're eating the shit out of candy. Dano found the candy, Paul. <laughs> Can't be far behind. Now, now we have to do the adventure. Dano, Paul. Dano, come on. Mute yourself. So I went to Dano's house. Dano's house is like a normal person's house, except that you know there's like those freezers that set like this. There's got like three of them just for ice cream. Oh, I just figured he had a walk-in freezer. <laughs> he just turned the closet into a walk-in. <laughs> made of ice cream. He just scrapes it off the wall. That would actually be pretty good. Spray. You, you put you like a system of like a, a drip system or like no, like a fire fire suppression. So full melt. Not everybody can say that they've had them in love shit. So what's your next plan? What's your next plan for running uh, websites? North, Cody, Wyoming, back home, Balsa, Shot Show. Oh, you got, okay, you going to Shot Show too? Oh, okay. When's the last time you've been up here in this area? Illinois? Yeah. Last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you did your uh, gun shop uh, tour. Yeah, exactly. Right? This is where the band What's that? <laughs> where, did it, uh, where did it break down? Here in Chicago or Southern? Southern. Southern? Oh, okay. Oh, by Gap Guns. Oh, Elger. Yeah. Well, okay. Right How was your trip? It was nice or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the weather better than 103 in Tucson. Now, do you visit other YouTubers, or you're not into that? No. Watch my channel. <laughs> no, no. That. no, no, that's what I'm asking because I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah, no, I visit gun shops, museums, and surplus stores. Then you might want to try Forgotten Weapons. Really? <laughs> Does he have a gun shop? No, I mean they do a historic class. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's. I like your videos, and I know your thing is not to show your face, and I always. My thing is to let people experience the Second Amendment. Oh, okay. Okay. Have you ever watched Modern Marvels? Uh, the movies. The people television show that was on for decades. No. Yeah, but I don't do a thing. All I do is try to share the second. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Not a thing, but what's what I've noticed. Like your style. That's, 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 that's what I meant. Yeah. All right. I don't want to bother you more, but thank you, though. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for being here.
and repping IGLT. Illinois Gun Owners. Are you a group as well? Are you a group member? No, no. But I got a card from them. They have a pretty interesting business card here. Oh, okay. Oh, Illinois Gun Owners Together. Right yeah. On. Yeah, thanks for repping. Oh, yeah. That, uh, you know, an event like this, I might as well stand out a little bit by wearing the shirt. So, yeah. All right. Take care. Ellen, yeah, I just want to say thanks again for always having a vegan option or a vegetarian option on the menu. Oh, I think that's great. Thanks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> be honest. We try to accommodate everybody. I think it's just water. Yeah, I think one of them is hot. This one's cold. Is it? It's okay, it's plugged in. I didn't know. Look, I've given it no one. <laughs> oh crap, I need to get roll call's already signed it, Dano signed it. I don't know if Smeggy signed it, thanks, Ghost. But we have to get Patrick to sign it. So yeah, thank you. If you ever need a dog walker, I'm right here. <laughs> Ellen just had his dog over here. He got us some water for it, for him. Thank you. 
So I'm told they didn't do it on YouTube because they don't have a big enough reach. Uh, I don't know, a couple of minutes, I guess. It should be over pretty soon here. It's 2 o'clock. I'll bet you they'll be calling everybody in here at the top of the hour. Fucking cleaning lady took my fucking lunch. Had my lunch sent me to my chair over here. She fucking took it. Had a shit ton of egg in there for the dog.
We're going through Rick. Or no, wait, yeah, today's Saturday. We're going through Rick's show now. And it's full of fucking food. You think they pick yeah, it up and it'd be like heavy as fuck? Right over there. Fucking food moving over to there. Get Alan and Gano in a big fight. Did you sign the playing card deck poster? Roll it up. The gold last. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Vegas. Okay. Oh, that was Patrick. Oh, we're sitting there fucking. It's like who the hell is this guy? Oh, I thought you were I'm like, why is this guy listening to Spanky's intimate details here? Oh, no, I've only met the guy the one time behind his back. So. But anyway, so at the second, the second. You're live. Okay, that's cool. Um, Big Gunner walked up and go, hey man, how's it going? You're going to take his hand. And Piers, he's like, oh, cool. Hey, you want to show me? I was like, I'm going to go just mention. So I got the picture right here. Something changed. Yeah. It was really weird. It's like, like, I got this picture of me and you, but nobody else can see it. I got this picture of me and you, but you were asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody else can see it. <laughs> Yeah, it was just kind of funny. I, no, dude, I was just saying hi. That is. Have you got any any sense of what you're doing here? I'm a boy again. I really appreciate it. We get those doors open and we go where I was supposed to come in. Thank you. Yeah, let's ruin the schedule because Alan went out there and said. But if I go out there and say it, they're gonna say, Who the hell is he? Well, no, if you go out there and yell at Start, you know about it, you know what you're talking about. It's starting. It's that's Dano. That was not a girl. That was Dano. <laughs> CCI with <laughs> Luckily, nobody's listening. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. I tried. <laughs> Damn, I had my lemon bottle. 
and I had like a big fucking chunk of egg. That lemon yard looked like just a solid chunk of sugar with lemon, artificial lemon inserted. No, no, it tasted like lemon. It was like it was super tart. You know, like some of them are just sweet and they're like candy, candy or like brownie or something. This was like a key lime pie or something. Just I mean, it wasn't really good because it was smashed in plastic. Have you thought of, of at any time, maybe after potentially upgrading your shoeware? These are seven dollars shoes from. I believe it. You <laughs> got ripped off. What? You don't like seven dollars shoes? <laughs> no, I'm saying they look like three dollars shoes. They <laughs> work. I got boots if I need to work. I mean, they probably have the same bottoms as my Converse. Dude, we had flat foot. We didn't have no arch for our combat boots. I lost my arches a long time ago. Ladies and gentlemen, we put notes in the first there version of it, or the first one this morning. Um, have you guys heard the resolutions Sunday, part before? Has that been live? That could be kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, why are they live? You know, people will say, like, you, know, you have to go out there and write okay. a piece of paper. Of course. Oh. Since 2018, so I write it on a piece of paper. Blue pen, and then they're going to go up there and be like, can't do what I am. Because then, of course, it would be easy to move around. But, like, last year, was it, where they... No, it was two years ago. It was in Florida, I think, where they were like trying to bring up the legal be in the clauses or something, or like get rid of citizens or something. So that but they're individuals' thoughts, not thoughts right. of an organization. No, no, it's like things that the Second Amendment Foundation, the Gun Rights Policy Conference, should do in the future. So like changes, you know, it's like bylaws, like so it's like official like changes, and then. Unnecessary or something maybe strategic. Right. Usually it's boring, but it's kind of interesting. Okay. Um, for and time going over some historical things and discussing a new large article that Thank you very much. Thank you. 
from intuition, obviously understanding the right at the time of gratification. Uh, so we researched every colonial and finally figured out law and acted in the states that ratified the Bill of Rights to see what requirements and restrictions were published in 20 year olds uh, throughout the colonial Congress period. Uh, before I summarize each state, since the majority of the current laws were militia laws, I'm going to be talking about some definitions. Uh, a bastard musket is a musket that is shorter and lighter than a standard musket. A toothsay, or a lot of synonym for a flintlock, more precisely, was a light suit or short arm, caliber in the regular infantry A gun, when it's used in these statutes, is referring to the long gun, not a handgun. Any bullets of the time or spears, uh, all the fun powder, what's we today call that powder. A scour or scourer was a ramrod. A match was a slow burning cord used to ignite a match lock. Uh, when quantities were specified, one gathering equals six feet. A cartridge was a cylinder that contained a free measure of powder plus a bullet. Uh, flints were for igniting the powder in a sunlock firearm. The softer than steel that the French price eventually had to be replaced. They were, of course, screw shaped device attached to the end of the ramrod, uh, used for cleaning on the first back, and unfired bullet ammunition components from a firearm. A wire, ground wire, used for cleaning the flash pan and the touch hole. The touch hole being a small hole that required for the ground pan and connected to the powder charge. And lastly, the horns, powder horns, and glass for use for. Uh, for most colonists, the most common one from cattle and for other animals. So New Jersey was the first state to ratify the Second Amendment on November 20th, 1789. Uh, the English took control of what became from New Jersey in 1664, ousting the Dutch from the Union Underland Company. Uh, four years later, in 1704, New Jersey passed its first militia act, requiring that all the men communicate. 16 and 50 be sufficiently armed with one good sufficient musket or two say, well fixed, explored, or bayonet, a cartridge box, or powder horn, kind of powder, for all sides of the bullets. From its first militia act in 1704 until a red hat second amendment on November 20th, 1789, New Jersey would pass another 13 militia acts, all of which have case limits for 16 and 50. New Jersey had no firearms restrictions on young adults, whatever. Closest thing to it was uh, persons under 21 needed parental consent to enroll in a state army expedition against Canada in 1746. Maryland was the second state for the Brad Fire. Its first armed state was enacted in 1638 and extended to every head of house, um, regardless of sex or age. Required that every head of house provide everyone in his or her own uh, firearm with sufficient ammunition if they were capable of bearing arms with their own judgment. A 1654 act mandated that all persons from 16 years of age to 60 shall be provided with serviceable arms, sufficient ammunition of powder, and shot ready on all occasions. And starting in 
following year, all the inhabitants in the region that are out at 17 years of age and under 60 for non-people soldiers. Additionally, the land grants were given to a settlement throughout North Carolina uh, to ensure that the settlers would be able to protect themselves. Additional land was provided for anyone who had a person in the house over the age of 14 years who had a good fire rod for them about four protocols that are found in the militia base was over uh, 16 in North Carolina in 1711. The remaining 16 from the next 17 militia acts was increased to 18 years before the last one on December 22nd, uh, 1749. South Carolina was formally established in North Carolina in 1729. It began making its own laws before the dispersed militia statute in 1703. It included all of the previous inhabitants from the age of 16 years to 16. Uh, so, 
the right of entry is 20 euros, which is not as exact as the expressing guarantee, and no law ever passed about the colonial or contemporary era. In 
Every generation should feel their responsibility to hand on undiminished future generations those liberties which are a proud American heritage. Beginning with the landing of the Pilgrims in 1620 until the uh, end of the Indian Wars on the Kansas frontier, the rifle of the fireplace and shotgun behind the door were incredibly necessary utensils in every rural American household. And it is just as imperative that the members of such households, old and young, should know how to handle it. It was almost equally true that unless a man were trained in the use of rifle and shotgun in his boyhood, seldom learned to use it. And that's ultimately what Michael Bloomberg understands that just as well as the Kansas Supreme Court did. And that is the ultimate purpose behind the Bloomberg campaign to prohibit young people from possessing any firearm of any type uh, to the maximum extent they ran that through state legislatures. Along with the uh, Michael uh, Bloomberg's gun manning strategies got much more sophisticated from uh, the days earlier in the century. And he now recognizes that it's a long-term battle. And part of that long-term battle is demographic destruction of gun ownership. The more barriers you can put up to gun ownership, the more you can discourage people when they are young from being able to use and perhaps get interested in firearms. Then over the long-term, the number of gun owners diminishes and diminishes and diminishes, leaving an ever-shrinking group of people who have any interest in defending the right. And that's exactly how the Right to arms in England, which was guaranteed by the 1681 Bill of Rights, uh, was exterminated. Not all at once, but over generations, the licensing system restricted uh, people from being able to possess arms. And now the so called conservative government of Prince and May is continuing that process with new laws against uh, young people who are being allowed to use air guns uh, while under supervision. So there is absolutely no founding error historical support for age-based restrictions on gun ownership. But the, the courts also, besides looking at the founding era, they also look at uh, history and tradition. So laws enacted in the 19th or 20th century uh, sometimes are, are considered highly important for what is what types of gun laws are permissible. The first age-based law was enacted now the Alabama show before the Civil War and said you can't give a handgun to a minor male. Females were okay, uh, but males were out. This was kind of an eccentric law at the time. But by the by 1899, we've got 46 states in the union. 27 states had no age-based restriction. Um, but 19 did. Of, of those 19, uh, 10 prohibited handgun transfers to minors. Of those 10, four had four had some kind of exceptions, hunting or, or self-defense. Uh, Three other states didn't restrict transfers in general, but they did restrict either sales or, or dealer sales. Um, and there were five more states that required parental consent, more regulation rather than prohibition uh, for handgun transfers to minors. And the Nevada simply said the minors couldn't carry. So there is some historical basis for some kind of age restriction laws, um, although it certainly is not the majority approach. Now, it is true today, as courts evaluate things, that people who are 18 to 20 years old commit violent crimes, including gun crimes, at a higher rate than the older people. This is this age crime relationship was first written about by criminologists in the 19th century, and it is something that is pretty much a human universal across all kinds of different cultures and societies. It's, it's well, okay, this group uh, 
as more more gun crime and, and older groups start making bad guns for them. Well, if you follow that logic, then you could raise the minimum age for gun ownership to 25, because absolutely people 21 to 25 commit more crimes than people who are older 25 than 25. The systems of crime as age goes on. Indeed, by this logic, you can ban the gun ownership by people. Uh, under 100 years old, because I guarantee you that people over 100 commit crime at a much lower rate than people under 100. It's astonishing how much more safer they are uh, than younger people. And of course, this logic, uh, if it to be adopted, obviously wouldn't apply just to people based on age. You can look at different uh, socioeconomic groups by income levels, or you can look at different racial or ethnic groups. And you can certainly look at the differences between males and females, where males commit vastly more violent crimes than females do. And you can say, well, then each of these groups, you can find out which have the relatively higher crime rates and ban guns for uh, uh, poor people, uh, or for males, or for people of the supposedly wrong race. They can go on and on and justify almost infinite uh, prohibition. But of course, the American approach, the principle of the Second Amendment, is we don't have collective punishment. We punish individuals for committing crimes. And while we may have different regulations for different situations, we don't have prohibited people from exercising their civil rights because someone who happens to share some other characteristics with them committed uh, misdeeds. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the, uh, in modern times, prohibition on uh, FFLs. Uh, selling handguns to persons 18 to 20 years old. Uh, and arguments that really are sort of continuations of uh, the, the 19th century issues. They first of all said, well, this isn't such a severe burden because after all, it, it, it's like a prohibition, federal government prohibition of gun possession by people who are drug users. It's an odd analogy because the point they were saying, well, eventually you'll age out of it, which is true. And they compared this to the uh, drug user ban. And of course, the drug user immediately regained the right to arms by stopping the use of drugs. But if you're 19 years old, there's really nothing you can do uh, today or tomorrow or a year from now uh, to make yourself over 21 years old. Uh, it is an inescapable thing, other than the exact opposite of the drug user situation. Um, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, in uh, the case of the Sacramento Foundation case, is L2. Uh, struck down Chicago's ban on anyone under um, 18 entering a licensed shooting range in the city. And Chicago's argument was just like the Glen Court in Georgia uh, in 1911. Uh, Chicago argued that people under 18 have no Second Amendment rights at all. And they pointed to some of these statutes about the evidence sales and things like that. None of which, by the way, the 19th century uh, laws applied to, to law events. And the uh, Judge Diane Sykes said, you know, that this is totally wrong because whatever traditions there might be in terms of some restrictions on young people, there is absolutely zero support anywhere for saying that uh, in the history or tradition, young people can't use firearms at shooting ranges and learn gun safety. One way I think about this issue is that. Thinking back to Justice Southern, one of the great justices of the Supreme Court in the early 20th century, in the early 20th century, after women were granted the 
right to vote by the 19th Amendment, he therefore said this, this changes the whole constitutional viewpoint that we can't, we can no longer discriminate against them, for example, by the case he was dealing with, a law that says man can have a certain job and certain negotiate wages one way, but we're going to prohibit a woman from entering into that exact same transaction that supposedly they're so frail and need extra protection can't decide these things for themselves. Well, that, that particular case was later reversed in the New Deal, but it was vindicated by history uh, and modern uh, constitutional protections, free choices of women who make choices just as well as men can. And I think the same principle also applies to the uh, Constitutional Amendment ratified in 1971, which says that 18 year olds have the right to vote. 18 year olds are no longer minors in our society. In fact, there are some laws about vices, allegedly uh, alcohol, gambling, tobacco, things like that, that may have an age of 21. Does not that principle can't be extended to gun ownership? Because first of all, we have very specific ages for gun ownership, uh, starting with the Second Amendment, which clearly includes uh, militia members who are certainly 18, 18 year, years old. And more broadly, uh, you can't. Take away the rights of people by the, as the Fifth Circuit did, as earlier courts have done, saying, well, these, these people are like, we can disarm dangerous people, and everybody can say he's dangerous, because we're going to analogize them to historical examples of traitors during wartime or slaves, which is actually a good analogy because it is true that one of the bad instances of slavery at the time of prohibition. And so if courts follow the original meaning of the Second Amendment, which Hunter says they should, even though we're going to do that, then bans on firearms possession by young people, especially the core right to possess a handgun in the home, are unconstitutional. Thank you. I'd like to invite our next panel to join us. And um, this is titled Winning Firearms Freedom One Loss of Your Time. But it's named um, after both the non talk of losses. Um, the other night I was speaking with someone and they said, How are you going to keep this panel on time? There's three lawyers up here, and I thought for a second, I said, no, I have this good idea. For every minute of April over, I will deduct one hour from their bills. The time limitations. So I'm here to talk about the case of defense distributed and second member foundation on the investigations in the rest of the state, which of course is no surprise since we've been talking about this morning and I want to do nothing more than talking about the advertising. So 
Despite those decades of rises, and despite a 1984 Federal Register notice that actually removed a provision that some people thought might be a power sharing in my regard, and that Federal Register notice cited First Amendment concerns for removal, despite all that issue, and despite never enforcing a prior restraint against anyone at any time, they enforced it in 2013. They moved to enforce it against the Federal Register. Now, it's important to understand that the climate that was going on, that was in place. Um, you know, Mr. Wilson had posted, uh, the defense attorney posted these three files on the internet in 2012. What else happened in 2012? We had a shooting, we had some. And as a result, the agencies uh, were looking for some way to get this information that Mr. Wilson posted taken down. One of the big concerns that the agency has, we can gather, is that in the way they say they hope they have this new gun control general, in which case they want to bring that and make it on high capacity magazines. So I was supposed to work on high capacity magazines that allow anyone to hypothetically download information and create from those files that they would make like a written drawing those those actual magazines. Um, however, the Unfectable Firearms Act would not reach the combat. And someone at some point in time raised their hand and said, What about this I talk? These regulations now, you know, we can conceivably interpret this to impose prior restraint. And so they ignored the decades of guidance from the Department of State that we cannot impose the ITAR in public speech. They sent the Constitutional Letter of 2013 telling them to take down files that they posted, to submit what's called a commodity jurisdiction request for those files to determine, to the agency to determine whether or not it's ITAR control. Because the agency wasn't even sure. They were, they were sure they didn't want them to speak about it. But they weren't quite sure that the time that it was going to So the 10 files posted, they wanted to use the my jurisdiction question to the And they also wanted to that they can commit the violation that time. So over the course of the next two years, I worked with the defense distributed and doing my best to get government approval to publish those files. And there's a set process that the government has to leave the defense contract is not for the public, though they will be to the public. And we worked on some issues with the Department of Defense to get approval for posting the files that were taken down in some of the files. At the same time, we submitted a jurisdiction request. The agency, after two years of trying to follow that route, this is regulatory maintenance, um, we still haven't had a response to the jurisdiction request. The agency says that the response to the 69 days. Never two years, no response. And although we initially got some approvals from the Department of Defense to post some information, they later retracted those approvals um, based upon the advisement of the Department of State. Because some of the Department of State calls and don't approve this stuff. And so they filed a lawsuit. In May, two years, almost two years to the date, the country received a letter from the lawsuit. The lawsuit concerned First Amendment claims. First Amendment claims concern speech concerning the Second Amendment. So it's effective speech regarding a fundamental right. By the way, and Fifth Amendment. Issues regarding lack of fair notice. Because normally, I, I would get calls from people who do what I'm doing in DC. There's not a lot of us who go, I never heard of this. I always tell people you don't publish this stuff because uh, I talk about all this DOJ guidance that in years past says you can publish it. There's no restrictions. Not the case. And so now we have a prior restraint that does not appear expressly anywhere in the regulations, but we'll be authorizing statute. And we're litigating this. Our first step is to go for a preliminary injunction. Uh, the district court looked at the preliminary injunction. Um, the 
you dispute with your sport, arms, or claim injunction. There's people like the success in the merits. There is irreparable harm that you will face if it's not granted. You have to forget the irreparable harm that outweigh the harm from the person who's seeking judgment against you. And you cannot disturb the public interest. Now, what's interesting is once we filed the laws, almost immediately we got a response to the seizure of the bus. Only six of the files were right to our control. So the government had to post a prior restraint over two years on speech, those other four files that were even subject to regulations. We also, because the, when we got kicked back from the Department of Defense and the request for approval, we did a basic for the Department of State for approval. There's no process for that. So we can buy your opinion points, asking the Department of State, what's your process? How do you have a license to speak? Never responded to it. To this day, they never responded to that. And they used to respond to lots of opinions like that in about 30 days. So, um, the government, the, the court, not a preliminary injunction, looking at the factors. Um, and in doing so, it found that the government's national security interests outweighed the Secretary Secondary Foundation's members' uh, interests in their constitutional rights. Now, there really was no national security interest that was stated there other than this vague threat that someone might use these files to harm, which is really not the standard and never has been recent reason for that without pushing them to meet the applicable standard review. But the court also found, the lower court, that we were unlikely to succeed in the merits because they applied a standard review that said, hey, using content neutral regulations. Like, there's no question that when someone says that the combined jurisdiction request process, is this, what's this information? Is it subject to the ITAR? Some government official, unelected official, goes ahead and looks at the information and then compare it to their list and make a subjective determination of whether that matches. So we need to and, and just prior to the court's decision, we have a case of people versus city door where the United States Supreme Court says there's no such thing due to this content neutrality. The speech is protected and the government is restricting it, and they're looking at the content, strict scrutiny applies, which is the highest level of scrutiny and the highest test per se for the speech. The court didn't apply it, it applied some level of intermediate scrutiny. We appealed to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit on a three judge panel. We got a two to one voting to uh, uphold the lower court's decision to deny. Um, we had a simple opinion from Judge David Jones. We, she basically got that every argument we made for why this why is the first amendment. She, in a way, um, gave directions to the lower court for her comment about how the lower court needs to make sure it follows the applicable standard. Now we have to appeal that later on the whole judge panel. They, they went ahead and said, No, we don't want to hear this. We appeal to the research uh, right to the US Supreme Court. And then the US Supreme Court, the issue was whether or not the, the, the court, in deciding whether or not we get a permanent injunction, has to decide merits. Because pretty much every other circuit, perhaps even the ninth, in their permanent injunction analysis, treats the merits problem as the most important problem, especially in the first amendment case. Because the government can never say that it'll be irreparably harmed in this balancing harm test by enforcing our constitutional laws. So that was a real important part of this. Was it a constitutional law? We don't like it to fail, which we think that the East Judge Jones thought was open and shut on the Green versus the door. And then where does the balancing harm happen? And also, one other thing is in the context of this litigation, because there was no express prior restraint in the ITAR, the government went ahead and they didn't notice a proposed ruling, the court went to the ITAR. That received over 10,000 public comments. Over 10,000, almost all of them opposed the prior restraint. And that came from universities, 
public research institutions outside the university context. It came from the actual lab. It, it came from um, people from all different kinds of spectrum commercial get folks who were involved with kinds of articles. But we also had companies that were involved in the electronic sector. And they had different concerns and this leading role for the defense products that were on. Um, but still, you know, we had the role court decision uh, that the balance of harms and public interest somehow was not served by um, keeping the government from enforcing the clearly unconstitutional violation of the department trusts and the people Suppose the social was denied, we go back down to the district court, and now the issue is the merits. There's no way to escape the merits. We feel very strongly more in on the merits. The Department of Justice has obviously has the same feeling because they've written that legal opinions in federal agencies from time after time. So it was not a response in respects that the government came to us after the court issued a special warning that said parties should exchange an officer settlement, that the Department of Justice came to us with a very nice settlement That settlement offer gave the defense distributed sound pretty much everything it was asking for them to be. However, it was not getting rid of the prior restraint. What it was doing was the same thing that happened in the Wilson case. The government says, look, we will, we will in good faith, draft and pursue a regulatory amendment that will transfer firearms in the files that concern those, that will concern the consideration to the Department of Commerce does not have a prior restraint on public speech. And we'll, we'll, that will take some time. And of course, it will guarantee But in the meantime, what we'll do is we'll grant staff that's distributed and that's distributed and then compliments of the plaintiffs in the action a license to speak publicly on the distribution of those files that are subject to the action. We will also issue basically a public license, or I say public license, but they will issue a notice under uh, section 126.2 of the ITAR, which basically what that does is it allows the agency to temporarily exclude certain aspects of the regulation from control. And what they will do is they issue the products, temporary notification, temporary modification to exclude the firearms that issue the category one firearms, calibers under 50 cal, non-cool automatic, non-cases ammunition, blah blah blah. The files that issue the action, they would exclude those from control so that anybody, not just sound, not just that's distributed, and not just confidential, but everyone, to include all SAS members, can freely exchange this information without fear of someone in the government stating that they're subject to violation of which by the way. It's strict liability and civil fines for a one million dollars per violation. So um, that can you also agree to pay forty thousand dollars for attorney's fees and costs in return for defense distributed registration. So this was a huge one for us. Never the history of litigation in the United States is some kind of clear victory. I don't care whether it's by settlement or getting a judgment. We could have done better if we got a judgment other than the fact that we would have wiped out the prior restraint for other things on the map. Our focus was on category one. Those challenges on other aspects, I expect, still come from other folks. Um, but it was very successful in that respect. It was very successful in government actually agreeing to pay attorney's fees, which is a very rare idea in the um, So at present, unfortunately, that uh, settlement and the government's obligations to carry out its obligations is uh, under an injunction uh, by uh, Washington Federal Court, Washington State, which is a matter litigation, but that is a matter between uh, us and the states. Federal government at this point um, is obligated to carry out the terms of the agreement that has with us, which screened out the technical data that we saw that.
make copyright reviews, make money, be on his own work. I litigated behind enemy lines in California. The topic of our discussion is the way the firearms are being lost at time. I'd like to first uh, set forth some successes that are happening in California, even if they aren't uh, being done by my office. Uh, I'm not the only lawyer litigating second amendment issues in California. So uh, let me congratulate some of my colleagues on some very uh, significant wins out in California. Uh, top of the list is Tracy Wright from Pistol versus Patera. Uh, Bradley Denbrook in Sacramento took this case on for uh, Cal FFL, SAF, and Farmers Policy Coalition. Uh, it was a commercial speech case. California had a state law that prohibited the outdoor advertising of guns for a gun store. Um, it was a, uh, a ban on uh, basically saying you buy a gun here or buy a handgun here. Uh, it was a stupid law that was passed. It was stupid for California trying to defend the law. Uh, it has now been struck down by a district court uh, in a very, very good opinion um, by a judge out of the Eastern District of California. We just wait to see if California is going to appeal this or not, uh, and whether or not the Ninth Circuit uh, will uphold this. It's a pretty common sense uh, ruling. Uh, it should be upheld any place where it is challenged, but again, we are litigating in California. Another colleague of mine, uh, Chuck Michelle, uh, operates out of Southern California. He is still defending last year's victory. After he persuaded a federal judge that a ban on previously uh, owned or previously acquired uh, standard capacity magazines would not be outlawed by the state of California, at least not without offering just compensation for the confiscation of property that the government thinks is a nuisance for some reason. Another recent win, uh, case, strange old case, uh, Young versus Hawaii. Uh, I was involved in the Richards versus uh, Yolo County, which got consolidated with the Karuda case a couple of years ago, which was the, the ban to uh, uh, main issue concealed carry permits. Uh, a case that my colleague David actually won here in the Seventh Circuit, but we were not able to uh, repeat that in the Ninth Circuit. Anyway, the Ninth Circuit and the Karuda decision came up with a very disingenuous ruling that concealed carry was not constitutionally protected, but perhaps open carry, we're not going to talk about it. So Young versus Hawaii was, uh, it started out, I believe, a pro per case, and then uh, another lawyer, uh, named Alan Dexter, argued the case when it came before the court of appeal. Uh, a three-judge panel in the Ninth Circuit basically said, some form of carry has to be allowed, you have to be able to defend yourself in public, the Second Amendment is not just your own. Uh, uh, we just got word last week that the state of Hawaii, the county of Hawaii, have asked for en banc review. En banc review in California or the Ninth Circuit is basically for the government to do over all the time. Um, let's hope these victories can be sustained. Uh, even if they aren't necessarily ones that we're directly involved with, although SAP, I believe, is directly involved in California rifle, uh, or Tracy rifle and pistol, and I believe they're providing uh, community support.
Now, for some of the bad news out of California, and I have to uh, take the blame for being the lawyer of handling most of these cases. Sylvester versus Becerra was a win the last time I reported here to you folks. We had won the uh, trial court striking down California's 10 day waiting period. California's 10 day wait period applies to everybody, even if you have a CCW, even if you work in the firearms industry, even if the state knows that you already have a firearm in your home. Um, we went had a three day trial in front of a uh, trial judge who made specific findings. His first finding was California's 10 day waiting period was not rational for the people in those categories. If you already had a CCW, you work in the firearms industry, you already had a gun. Made a second finding. That it required 10 days for California to do a computerized background check. And I think the actual findings were that for those categories of people, California was able to take the background check in less than a minute. Nevertheless, the state of California appealed to the Ninth Circuit, and the three judge panel reversed. The three judge panel set aside the findings of the, of the court. And, uh, and this isn't just sour grapes of trial lawyer talking here. You can go and read Justice Clarence Thomas's dissent from the petition for cert in this case, where Justice Thomas lays out how the Ninth Circuit three judge panel basically ignored or otherwise subverted the federal rules of civil procedure and the federal rules of appellate procedure to disregard the factual findings of the trial court. While I'm on that topic, Justice Thomas is a clear and compelling writer on the Second Amendment. If you haven't read his opinions on this, you're doing yourself a disservice. Please read his concurring opinion in McDonald's versus City of Chicago for a true understanding of how the 14th Amendment was intended to apply the Second Amendment to the states. Also, read his dissents from denial of cert in cases like Jackson versus City and County of San Francisco. Friedman versus City of Highland Park. Again, the Peruta case, where there was a denial of cert, and the Sylvester versus Becerra case. Another win that was converted to a loss was Texaria versus Alameda County. Again, the last time uh, I was reporting folks, I was reporting a win in that case, one before the three-judge panel. The government asked for en banc review. Again, this is where the government gets a do-over in front of a larger panel of the uh, the uh, bond panel reversed. Uh, essentially, the Tinseria case was a case challenging zoning laws that were arbitrarily applied against gun stores and basically making new gun stores remote and The petition for review was denied by the Supreme Court earlier this year, and apparently, having run out of gas and being exasperated probably tired of eating that bit of course. We did not get a, uh, a dissent of the tertiary from Justice Thomas. Some cases that we have in the pipeline that my office is handling out in California, a uh, case that's already been briefed and uh, a very fine amicus brief, by the way, from Dave uh, Copeland and Richard Greenley was, was the writer of the case of Rodriguez versus City of San Jose. This is a case in which some firearms were confiscated from a husband and wife because uh, uh, the husband had suffered a, a mental health episode. And uh, despite the fact that 
the guns also belong to the wife. In fact, one of them has been owned by her prior marriage. The city of San Jose Police Department confiscated all the firearms and refused to return them. When we argued this case to the judge and pointed out that uh, this this is Rodriguez had a gun safe, she had a handgun safety certificate. She had successfully transferred all those firearms from community property to her own separate property. And yet the city and uh, the city of San Jose still refused to return the firearms. And uh, during the argument, the question was posed to the city attorney: well, Can this Rodriguez just go buy another firearm? The answer is yes. So the government can't even claim a public safety reason for wanting to prevent her from reacquiring her own firearms. Cases will be set for oral argument in uh, probably February or March. We're just going to notice from the court on that. A case in the pipeline that will probably be filed uh, before Christmas is uh, a case, another case dealing with uh, firearms and mental health disqualification. It will be the Ninth Circuit version of Hillsdale versus Tyler. Uh, the, uh, the issue with regard to mental health and firearms is that normally there are two kinds of uh, circumstances in which your firearm rights are in jeopardy if there's a mental health issue. One is what, are, what we call unadjudicated holds, and that's where a police officer has probable cause to believe that you might be a danger to yourself or others. So you're taken in for observation. That's usually a quick turnaround exam. Psychiatrist or a psychologist can either release you or the government may issue the whole thing for longer, at which point in time it must be a hearing that becomes an adjudicated role. Now under federal law, under California law, both kinds of holes can suspend your gun rights subject to a hearing to restore them. Under federal law, only an adjudicated hold can affect your gun rights. Once the adjudicated hold happens, though, under federal law, the statute says that you are barred for life. And that's what the Hillsdale uh, case versus Tyler case was about. It was about a man that had been uh, adjudicated with a uh, mental health issue uh, 30 or 40 years ago and now wanted to have a firearm, but there was absolutely no way for him to go back to court to clear his name or to have some kind of process to have this mental health determination that was literally decades old uh, purged from the record. In an en banc decision, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals said that's a violation of the, of the Second Amendment and it has to be some procedure provided. We're going to need, uh, the case was not appealed at the U.S. Supreme Court, so we do not have any reform in the country. Uh, we're working together this case in the Ninth Circuit see if we can't get such a reform ruling. Uh, we're also in the exploratory stages of having to relitigate the vampire of uh, cases of vampire policy of banning gun shows at county fairgrounds. Uh, I started my uh, yeah, broke my teeth in firearms litigation on gun show litigation uh, back in uh, 2000 to 1999 with the Nordyke case. Uh, now Santa Clara County has effectively banned gun shows at its county fairgrounds. San Diego is doing the same thing as the Del Mar fairgrounds. The state of California, because it controls the townhouse in San Francisco, is also seeking to ban gun shows at these uh, public forums. My, uh, my colleague, Chuck Michelle from Southern California, and I are already starting to uh, gather our resources and uh, pull together 
necessary briefing and demand letters and what have you, memorandums, so we can get ready to start that case. Finally, I want to say a quick word about where we are on the Second Amendment, at least from my perspective in California, behind it in mind. Now, Dred Scott was a Supreme Court decision that can credibly be cited as one of the essential causes of the Civil War. It was a betrayal of the Declaration of Independence. And then after the Civil War, we attempted to correct that problem with the post-Civil War amendments, the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments. But barely 20 years later, those amendments were abandoned and rendered independent by the Supreme Court and the rest of our cases. And it took another 70 years for the culture to catch up to the aspirations of those amendments. There is still work to do, of course, in 13th, 14th, and 15th amendment uh, issues. But what does all this have to do with the Second Amendment? Well, Second Amendment lay in slumber for almost 200 years. It woke up in Heller and McDonald. In other words, the reaffirmation of a set of political principles that most of us thought were set law has now triggered conflict. Much the same way that Dred Scott helped trigger conflict that led to the Civil War. There are two ways to approach this. We can say, let's hope it doesn't take eight years for the culture to catch up with the people in this room, because we know that the right to keep and bear arms is a fundamental right. But there's another approach, and it's the approach that you folks take when I'm grateful for. That is, we must always, always exercise oversight over our government to ensure our rights. It is a perpetual duty uh, that each of you Good afternoon. My name is David Siegel. I'm introducing myself one through the room and two, so everyone can be looking at the weird spelling of my name on the Facebook screen. So, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Um, before I start, I wanted to um, wanted to say a couple things when I came up here a little bit earlier. There's a few people. It really deserve recognition for what I do, and it ties into what I'm about to say. Uh, Julianne here does so much work, and she's so great to work with, and uh, she deserves so much credit. And uh, I'm very glad she's here with Was in suburban Chicago, and my practice with Second Amendment Foundation, while not limited to the state of Illinois, uh, involves a number of cases in the federal courts in Illinois. Part of what I do also involves I'm a counsel for the Illinois State Rifle Association, and I can tell you, um, especially for the members and officers that are in the room here. That they are just a great organization for all the support they provide for the lawsuits, as well as all the other work they do behind the scenes, uh, working to promote and protect Second Amendment rights. If you are an Illinois resident in this room, you're not a member of 
performance your rifle association should be. And if you are in this room because you're busy and you want to hear what the hub hub was about and you're not a member of the Amendment Foundation, you also should be. Uh, the work of these two organizations do, I can tell you firsthand uh, how amazing that is. Also, a shout out, I couldn't say that right without throwing a shot to Illinois Carry folks. They work so hard, Melinda, Micro, uh, they do so much work behind the scenes also, and helping me uh, behind the scenes with, uh, with the litigation. So with that said, what is the litigation? Well, first, uh, was I referenced it a little bit earlier. It involves uh, it's the case of Cole versus Madigan. It is the years-long struggle, uh, ongoing struggle to uh, obtain the right to file a concealed carry application here in Illinois uh, for non-residents of 45 of the 50 states. Illinois allows only four states to file even an application. They don't allow people even try and prove themselves. They say, if you're from this state, 45 of them, uh, we can't trust that you are a qualified law-abiding person, and we're not even going to give you a chance to try. We believe that is unconstitutional. We argued this before the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals on Thursday, uh, and we obviously we hope that the result is going to be favorable, and we will keep updates, I guess, in Phoenix, uh, if nothing else about how that went. Two other cases that are related uh, by the Venn diagram, but uh, they have some overlap, but they're not quite the same case, are the two assault weapon cases. One is called Easterday versus Deerfield, and one is called Wilson versus Cook County. In 2013, when the state passed the concealed carry law, it also redid the FOIA Act, and it basically passed a, passed a what we'll call an assault weapon law. And when it did that, it also said that local governments have 10 days to pass their own laws if they want. Otherwise, this law, the, the state law, is preempted. It's taking over, and you are, local governments are not allowed to pass anything new. Um, Deerfield did not get that message. So they uh, they had, within the 10 days, they passed a, uh, an ordinance that regulated assault weapons. Uh, and to enlarge capacity, uh, to some extent, large capacity magazines, and said they can have them, but here are the restrictions uh, and the requirements. Now, love it or, or, or don't, that was, that was the ordinance they passed. Uh, and this past year, they went and just passed, after the Parkland tragedy, they went and passed an assault weapon ban. Uh, they claimed that it was merely an amendment to the previous ordinance, which in the state law was allowed, but we argued successfully that it was not an amendment, it was a brand new law, a brand new gun ban that the state was not allowed to do. And so far the court has agreed uh, with me and with the attorney in the uh, consolidated case called Lombacher Gun Safe Life versus, uh, versus Deerfield. And the court entered a uh, temporary restraining order, which is still in place. 
The penalty for violating this ordinance, by the way, is up to $1,000 a day fine, plus confiscation and destruction of your firearms. So the, we are briefing right now a preliminary injunction, and uh, we're going to we're going to argue that in a couple of weeks. But nothing has changed. The court has ruled in our favor. The legal arguments uh, haven't changed, so we're hopeful that the court is going to continue to rule in our favor. At which point, the approach will probably appeal to the The other case is Wilson versus Your County, which is just an assault on and Dan altogether. We filed that in an opportunity to show that the case is different from the Friedman versus Island Park case, which was uh, in non-reference that it's a, another assault weapon ban case that the Seventh Circuit upheld and the Supreme Court declined to take, but we think this case is different and it's sustainable. And the district court agreed disagreed with us. And so it is up on appeal right now as well, where we are arguing not only that the case is distinguishable, but also, that the Friedman decision is wrong, and hopefully the court will take us up on hearing that argument. There are uh, two other cases. The next category of cases are uh, what I call foster care cases. Uh, there's cases in Illinois, and there's a case that I have in Michigan. Uh, the first case is in the Illinois case is called Schultz versus Walker. The second one in Michigan is called Johnson versus Lyme. Basically, it is a uh, it's a home firearm possession ban, a functional firearm ban. If you are a foster parent, uh, we are arguing that that is an unconstitutional violation uh, of Second Amendment and equal protection rights. And the uh, in the Schultz case, the court had denied a motion to dismiss, so we are getting ourselves geared up for trial. The court actually wants us to sit down, um, actually this next week, and uh, see if the parties can actually uh, come to a settlement. So I guess we'll see what happens with that. Otherwise, it's going to wind up at trial. And the judge in the Michigan case denied a motion to dismiss as well. So we're going to proceed with that. Uh, we're going to proceed with the Michigan case as well. Um, I can tell you that there is an imminent case in another state, I'm not going to say which one, uh, but I'm now narrowing it down to 48, that uh, we're going to be filing over the same thing because uh, winning firearm lawsuits, uh, firearm freedom is one lawsuit at a time, and so there's someone else that uh, their rights are being violated, and so we're going to step in and try and do something about that. Related to that is the Illinois case of Miller, uh, versus Walker. This is uh, a ban on functional firearms and, and daycare, um, home daycares. Now, I want to make it clear for people watching this. This is not, none of these cases are foster care, the daycare case. This is not about, you know, I have my second amendment rights, and if I want to leave a gun on the coffee table or the toy box, I'm going to do it. It's not that at all. Actually, what the plaintiffs want in these cases are very modest. They want to be able to have a firearm if they want to have on their person if they so choose. If they have carry permits, then when they go out, they should be able to do that. And they have in Illinois and in Michigan as well what is called safe storage. Other places have it as well. It's not a new term. 
where you have to have a firearm locked up, unloaded, and once made, and then in a separate location, the ammunition. Well, what good does that do you when someone breaks into your house in the middle of the country? So all we're asking for is the right to, okay, fine, if no one's, if we're not carrying it, we're not, it's not on the person, lock it up. But you want it to be locked up, loaded, so that if you actually need it at a moment's notice, it's available. Um, we don't think that these are very outrageous requests, and hopefully the courts are going to agree with, with us in those cases. The next case is the public housing case down in East St. Louis, Illinois. A woman from calling Endo lives in a housing project. She is told that you cannot have a firearm in your app in your residence. If you do, we will evict you. Ms. Doe has an ex-paramour who is went to jail for very violent crimes and is threatened that if he ever finds her, he's going to kill her and her children. And the housing project says, you don't need a firearm in your residence, we can protect you. So we are in court right now over the, whether or not someone who is in public housing uh, because of limited financial means gives up their Second Amendment right because of that. This case that might sound familiar, there was a case back in the, the Central District of Illinois, which uh, I won back in uh, 2012, I think, called Wynn Bigler, but the Southern District, uh, the housing project in East St. Louis didn't get that memo either. So we uh, really frustrated me to uh, find ourselves litigating the same issue. Um, all right. Um, I bring up Illinois because uh, uh, there's a number of issues that uh, are, are sort of unique to Illinois residents that I uh, wanted to point out for ISRA. So if you're aggrieved or you know someone that's aggrieved, uh, long and short of it, because uh, time is short, is the Boyd and the Concealed Carry Review Board cases. The system is very, very flawed. The state is very quick to take away gun rights and they're very, very slow to give them back. You find yourself uh, arrested for something that doesn't matter that you didn't do it. But you find yourself arrested, you're going to automatically get a revocation notice of your FOIA and your concealed carry rights from the state and you have to go turn in your car. When you're acquitted of that charge and you want your FOIA or concealed carry, you have to undergo whole bunch of paperwork, submit it to the state police director, which is under no timeline to actually respond to that. And then when I usually get a call is about eight to 10 months later when they've heard no response. And sometimes you can get, I can get a response and sometimes you gotta go to court to force a judge to, to get them to, uh, to act. Concealed care review board, same thing. They ask that extension, Extension. Anyone, any law enforcement can file an objection, doesn't matter if it was some minor thing 20 years ago that you were acquitted of, doesn't matter. An objection will trigger a referral to the review board. There is no timeline for them to act, and if they do, you can't get the records, you don't get a hearing, you might get a chance to put something in writing. And if they deny you anyway, your only chance is to go to court under the Administrative Review Act. Where the bar for an applicant is so high to get over is practically pointless. That system needs to be changed, and nobody is nobody here is promoting the people that shouldn't have firearms to get them. 
but the system just unfortunately excludes too many good people and needs to be changed and there needs to be some kind of timeline put on and that's something with staff and advisory we're working on. Um, there are three cases going on involving gun stores and gun ranges that were denied and those are basically damage cases. The, the municipalities are basically agreed or, or the courts have ruled that their Second Amendment rights were violated by not being allowed to uh, open the gun range case. The court has actually uh, disagreed with that and said that notwithstanding themselves, there's still no right to uh, a municipality can still sell the gun range out of existence. And so we're continuing to fight that in my mind of my appeal, but there's a motion to reconsider that the judge hasn't ruled on, so maybe he's going to let it go forward. But it's, it's a little disheartening and, and really is why diligence is required that these cases, that these really big victory cases, and, and that's really awesome, but it, it's not the be all end all necessarily. And other courts will try and distinguish and pick apart and uh, they can find a reason to rule against Second Amendment rights, we'll do it. And so we have to constantly be vigilant about that. Um, the, the Oscar case. There is a, uh, Kyle was up here talking as a Parkland survivor. And you know that as, uh, uh, after Parkland, there were a number of school walkouts that were scheduled across the state, across the country, all on the same day, same time. Well, as, as you heard, not everyone necessarily agreed with the viewpoint of the majority. And uh, there is a girl in Oscar in Rockford and when she wanted to hold up different signs at her school walkout on the football field that talked about being about hardening schools and being pro-second amendment rights, uh, the administrators and principal ostracized her. They pushed her off to the side. They said you can't go over there with the rest of the kids. The and then made the, her and her small group of friends stand there on the corner by the exit while all the other kids walk past them yelling insults and uh, other pejoratives as they walk past. And some of that, of course, is high school, but some of it, but most of it in this case, was because the administration sent a signal that this girl's viewpoint was wrong and different and did not deserve the same attention and respect as the majority. So we are in court right now up in the Northern District in Rockford for, for violation of her First Amendment rights. Um, she, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about respect, but everyone has to be respected in their viewpoints. Uh, Don mentioned the Young Case staff is going to be uh, uh, working on an amicus brief in support of the, uh, well, is opposing the en banc uh, and supporting the and certain family decision of open carry uh, staff and, and supporters felt it was very important to stand up and step up and do this. So we're going to be doing that. Um, finally, um, well, next to finally, uh, just a brief word about uh, when we started to talk before in these kind of panels, we started to talk about the seemingly never ending saga of the Mariana Islands. 
uh, and the gun ban that was struck down there. Uh, when last we spoke, I believe, the government had given up. They had lost its summary judgment. They said, fine, we're passing the law. And, uh, um, and then actually they, they paid off the plaintiffs. Uh, they paid attorney's fees. And they were all set to move on. Uh, the Tanner had middle school PTA uh, moved to intervene. So they could appeal, and the court denied that. They moved it to the Ninth Circuit. So we had to argue that back in June. And the Ninth Circuit quickly uh, denied that request. They turned them down. But now they might be seeking on bond and dragon set. So maybe that's something else we're talking about in Phoenix. Last thing I want to mention, I'm using Yeah, 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 that's all. Last thing I want to point out, especially for you Illinois residents, you know, but this could apply, I suppose, just about anywhere. I represent a person in a county court, I'm not going to name his name. Um, he has a concealed carry permit. He was confronted by a much larger, younger attack, uh, uh, some, someone who got angry at him and started advancing toward him. Uh, in a very threatening manner. This gentleman who was carrying at the time, he lifted out his firearm from his holster and he put it down to his side. The person immediately, the, the, the would-be threatened, the, the attacker, immediately backed off. And the my client put his firearm back in his holster and calmly walked away. And that should have been the end of it. But the attacker went to the police and said that this guy wanted to go down and threatened him. And so now my client is being charged with aggravated battery for what is, in all accounts, the most modest, the safest manner of self-defense with a concealed firearm, perhaps out. So I, I want I want that I just wanted to point that in and hopefully we're gonna he goes to trial in November and hopefully you know, we're we're not backing down from it. We we expect to prevail for this gentleman. But I want to point that out as a cautionary tale that you know, the, the authorities, the court, the, the prosecutors are moving forward with it, the police arrested him. And so I want that as a cautionary tale that what I said a few minutes ago, but just because we've won these cases, just because we won more versus Madigan, does not mean um, in the next case or in the next or, or at a local level, doesn't mean that all of a sudden it's going to be held up as, as the high and mighty gospel. And we always have to be diligent, we always have to be on our guard to make sure that our rights are protected. I'll continue to do that, and uh, we'll tell you more about it in Phoenix, I guess. Thank you very much. Tana had middle school in Marianas Island, PTSD. 
I would like to thank you three gentlemen. Um, we have uh, spent many years, and we'll spend many more years together as we look forward to seeing you all in the Thank you. I think last year she was. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'll meet back here in uh, 15 minutes, please. He's got family because of some of the Taken off stealth. I keep forgetting to type things on too. Bill keeps going. Well, I'm working Saturday and Friday. And I'm like, okay, well, it's Sunday also. So <laughs> let's see you here. Are you, uh, aren't you in the Illinois State Rifle Association? When they said before, get up. That's the one that's like you have to be a member to be a member kind of thing. Yeah. And um, a lot of the money. They have a shooting range outside of Kankakee. One range in the entire state. Now we have an odd shape, so they've got that much stuff in the end. Yeah. But if you're going to do, if you only have the money to do one, do it generally somewhere around the center of the city. So you can get most of the people would have equal access, I think. Um, but they put it in Kankakee, which is where the vast majority of the city numbers. Where's the Kankakee It's um, It's not technically a supplemental function of but it's what one step out, kind of like Elgin is. Like one step out in an older city, but in uh, southern direction. Okay. So it's being the Christian. There's a large number of members of the board from very south suburbs. And the general greater area thereof. I'm not saying that Springfield would be convenient for everybody. Well, no, no, no. Five hours even, even though it's the center of the state. Yeah, but you got to look at population center, not a yeah. physical center, because there's no BMS stores down there. They want to do all sorts of financial investments, I believe, are most of them. I don't know. Some rights. Well, though, with the Illinois State Rifle Association, you know when they started? Oh, no, it's, it's like the state. 
It's not the old. No, it is. It's, it's, it was 1903 or 1907 or 1911. Whenever they made the, the thing, whenever they made the National Guard and Reserves, it was that right. the militia act or whatever that they started out. Yeah. With the express purpose of getting people ready for the guard and reserve. Oh, That's absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it just with the changes that have occurred since then, and you know, it's a slippery slope that we're halfway down with at this point. So you want the uh, Illinois National Illinois Rifle Association ALRA ILA. <laughs> What's all that big group going on down there? Some kind of secrets. Like all those secrets down there. Man, something good's happening. Everybody's over there in the corner. Huh? That's what I'm saying. Something's happening. Something good. There's secrets going on over here. But uh, I didn't. Uh, did, the, did the 150 option add? Oh, yeah. Who the hell wouldn't be a life member of Second Amendment Foundation? 150 bucks, the cheapest life membership of any organization. And they've been doing this for 33 years. And did you hear all those? Everybody fell asleep because they were listing all the court cases they found. So our 150 bucks or our 15 bucks a year if you're a regular member goes to fund all these court cases. It got that's your cafeteria now. Well, that part of the lawyer's dissertation was interesting. Yeah. It was when they were talking about the change or match lock. Yeah, I don't understand. That's when I left with the other action types. Did you catch that kind of thing? There's a couple of people as I was doing research or whatever. I can't tell if they're live or dead because that isn't that specific about it. It'll mention like an article will mention this guy did something. You look on Wikipedia, there's nothing. And like this guy's still around. I never heard of him. Look from on Wikipedia, you see no pictures. There's only nine people watching, we're not getting any feedback. I don't have a link to the chat though. I thought it was a good idea to type in who was typing in for GWS. That way I can keep track of who left crumbs all over my fucking keyboard. I like. <laughs> Need a spoon. One watcher listener. Uh, but later on, I'll see if I can stand more of these things that kind of like intermittently, so that like a fighter jet kind of come down, swoop up, pick up the little bit of this. It's just nice to be able to get the people to show so they can say, hey, we got a contest, we're going to do a little bit of this, and here's the prize. Yeah. And, you know, swag from this guy to the other, and the mob I bought, I bought 60 bucks worth of patches off the Second Amendment Foundation to uh, do patrons. I was trying to buy them off Illinois, but they just gave them to me. I'm not patches, but the decals, those Illinois State Shake decals that say Illinois State Rights Association. What about those, uh, I can't remember, what organizations you recall with the ones I gave you? Oh, I don't know what that was, like Ammo Up or something? Yeah. 
there was another stack that was actually bigger than that, but I didn't want to like just kind of like palm the whole thing. <laughs> Excuse me, let me take one. That one is like an inch. And a, that one is like an inch and a half thick. No, I usually say he's gonna grab a bunch because that's what they make that stuff. They get yeah. about right now. And it's like you know, as you meet people here and there, you know, here's thirty for your show. Here's thirty for your show. You know, as things come up, you guess it's fucking wild. We've got like one of the biggest podcasters in the world just walked by, Larry Pratt just walked by, and then fucking one of the other people running the thing just walked by. It's kind of neat. And there's still 300 other people that I don't know the fuck they are. Were you listening yesterday? Yeah. I think that guy. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that you. Oh, that guy. Yeah. That was that YouTube. I didn't know you. I didn't know that they weren't. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. Because mine sucks, right? It's got shitty microphones. Yeah, nobody else was. Oh, they were they were on a private Facebook group. So you had to be in the pictures from Facebook and then in the Facebook private group to be able to listen to it. But. Whatever. Sometimes it's easier to So I did it as unlisted. Permission. It's like, nice work, yeah. You would have mentioned this ahead of time. Well, you know, some people may be concerned about blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm just doing it. I did it every year so far. Luckily, we get six viewers. Nobody really cares. But the six viewers that listen are actual Second Amendment advocates and, you know, they're not looking for something blowing up. Like and by the way, this is break time. So there's nothing. We're not talking over anybody. I'm sure they think that we're talking over loudspeakers. It's like, oh, wish they'd shut up because the loudspeakers are going. <laughs> There's important things we want to hear. Um, are, you, are you going tonight? Are you going tonight? Uh, I got I to run there yeah. tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's the kids are driving able, the wife crazy. You know? that you were able to make yeah. Are you coming back tomorrow? No. Uh, Probably not. I would. It's it's shorter you know, and then it's boring. Anyway. So yeah, I'd rather come today, today and it's Lucky the camera's not on. Yeah. 
That applesauce looked like it came from somewhere funny. It's the cinnamon kind, that's why. It's the cinnamon. Yeah. that extra funny color. Yeah, there's supposed to be discussion about dog. You mentioned Kevin Dixie yesterday, and I was surprised, and maybe you thought of it as just insane. I told you about Kevin Dixie past. I'm oh, okay. That was oh, so I didn't yeah. think of that. And that is why I'm taking his classes. Oh, it's his, he's the guy you're taking his class at? Yes, that's him. In, in St. Louis? Outside of St. Louis. Oh, yeah. All right, good. No, I had no idea. Dude. When you said that, it didn't relate to him being the sheriff yeah, and all that shit. Yeah, that's the guy. Oh, no, you, weren't, you weren't listening yesterday when, it, when he was on. No. Oh, I shit. I did not hear him. So they're unlisted. So you can go get them off of Gun Channel's main page, right, and get to them. But uh, I think it's in the second half. This shit's fucking phenomenal, dude. That's why I went over. Oh, you weren't here yesterday. I've I went over seen, to him and I said, anything you need, uh, dude, my channel's here. Going to the local uh, breakfast place and, and having a meeting with like 15 uh, people who are either on the fence or feeling kind of anti and having just a discussion. Yeah, that's awesome. And he is outstanding. He's this man. He's very professional. Yep. Articulate uh, and precise. Articulate, yes. And you can handle questions on the fly. Yes. As if he knew it in advance, which he doesn't. Well, no, but it's not in a like in a, in a memorized can. way. Yeah, it's not yeah. a canned thing. Yeah, it's not a canned response. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, it was. Like it, it just. Let me bring that poster over so I didn't want to drag around in here, but we'll go. Are you leaving? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be going. I'm gonna head out probably after uh, after uh, Okay. And then, uh, where, but you're here, right? Yeah, I'm in Indiana. Oh, okay, you're in Indiana also. Are you coming back tomorrow or no? Uh, probably not. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll go out to the top. Okay. Usually this thing ends and then there's like an hour gap and then the other get together and like angle kind of thing. You have to stick around for that? No, I'm not. I gotta, the wife wanted me back for dinner. Will that get you back for dinner? It says it's at four, right? No, it can't. No, it uh, five? Yeah, because I think it said uh, things start to six. Yeah. I think that'll be like six to nine or something, right? I'm interested in things. Uh, it ends at six thirty? Yes. Barring some interesting change in the situation, that means that we're going out. Tonight? Tomorrow we're going out for pizza. Oh, okay. You guys ain't gonna stick around tomorrow for pizza? Well, I'm saying after this, we're gonna go get Snakey real pizza. You probably have had real pizza. Oh, real? Oh, yeah, what do you guys consider real pizza? Well, I, 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 I thought. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Well, that, well, okay, that's real pizza. The two closest places are Gino's and. Well, I go to Gino's also, but yeah, Illuminati's Gino's is, good. is pretty. Yeah, the other one is yeah. Gino's. Gino. No, Gino's. Well, it's Uno's and Dolo's. But I'm not going downtown. No, no, no. I'm talking about like within a quarter of a mile to half a mile. You never went to Marie's. Back in the olden days? Sometimes the start page is business. I've never even been to that page. That's what I tell. 
<laughs> the assumption is I actually have a girlfriend. Her name is Zeb. <laughs> I don't know what Dan is thinking. He's Her and Lena. And local. Oh shit! Yeah. Yeah. It's here. I thought there's only one video. Rosemont right there. Yeah, I thought there's only one. And one is part of the restaurant, which is right down there. But this is the one with all the chandeliers and shit in. I don't know. I think so. No. the most efficient because they probably put the quicker than everybody else. Everybody else makes a big production out of it. Okay. There's we got uh, Elk Grove, Harwood Heights, and Park Ridge. Yeah, that was one right uh, near here. It says Park Ridge is 2.8 miles. Yeah. Harwood Heights being three. Yeah. Look it up. Oh, what did you tell me? That? I don't know. You just like looking shit up. So I'm <laughs> letting you do this. <laughs> Why do you say? Well, I know which one is closest. You didn't say. I fucking said Blue Moon right off the bat because we knew that was the closest one. But you didn't see which one. I don't fucking know which one it is either. Plus, there was only like and by two. the way, he's just pretending to be nice because he knows he's on microphone. Time <laughs> to finish my apple. I got, I got an applesauce to make here. It's time to start the next panel, please. Would you please take your seats? Those of you who are in the foyer, would you please return to the room? I would like to invite Sarah Kate, Rachel Lowe, Robin Sandoval, Amanda Sepapol, and Cheryl Todd to join me on the stage, please. Thank you very much. This panel is titled The Better Half. There are many other names I would have called them the Disc Staff and there are other names, but really, this is the 33rd Federal Rights Policy Conference. Um, the first Federal Rights Policy Conference, there were maybe 10 women, probably half of them for our staff. And uh, um, it was a totally male-driven. About uh, 20 years ago, we said, you guys did not run this train on time, so uh, the ladies are taking over, and we're going to run the train on time. So that was what we initially did, is we kept the train on time. I worked for the fire institution since I was two, and that was about 40 years ago. I think about 40 years. 
Um, it's, it's been very interesting to watch the number of women, the number of women who are now out and because of uh, as opposed to the women shooters who wouldn't say anything like And those of us who, as uh, parents, as mothers, uh, we, we hid. We hid what we did. Um, when my had a child who was in middle school and I was recording for a donut, um, I'd run the donuts, uh, especially the maple bars, on Friday so they could sell them for the PTA. And the kids could do whatever with the money they were going to do. And there was an article that was in the paper um, all about um, my husband, and I walked in the next Friday. Um, with my baby bars and stuck in my car. And the principal said to me, I didn't know that's who you were. I, I was totally, it didn't occur to me what he was talking about at all. And I said, okay. He said, I didn't know that's who you were. Okay. He said, I didn't know that's who you were. I saw the article. And I go, oh. And I said to him, you know what? I'm the exact same person as your last Friday. There's nothing different about me at all. But people make a lot of assumptions. I was really thrilled to have a panel where we can get women who individually, not because of their spouse, or because they got into it to make a boyfriend happy, or a husband happy, or a father happy. The women are into this because, because they are into it, not as necessarily as women. That's the secondary part. Still, uh, you'll have to fight me if these are not better at. With that, I will turn the microphone over to Cheryl. Thank you. Good afternoon. I am Cheryl Todd from Gun Freedom Radio. And I am so honored and so thrilled the same ways 
as the power of in Hollywood is the casting couch. I think we all know what the casting couch is about. It is a toll bridge with trolls living under it, where young people, both men and women alike, are required to submit to the plans of some Tom, Dick, or Harvey's. In order to be allowed to pass, the person on the couch must perform to the liking of those in power. And, and if they perform well, they might be given the gold and ticket of permission. This is the system that the gun grabbers want to set up and have already partially been successful in convincing people that this is somehow a normal rite of passage for you. And I and our sons and our daughters. This sick system of permission. Well, may I swear for modern keys defend my own life? They want to own us as their property and as their servants. Our founding fathers knew people just like this, and they watched as lives were gobbled up by the insatiable. Power-hungry tyrants of their time. And these men who helped birth our nation sought to protect us from just such tyrants. They knew the need for the phrase, no means no, long before it was part of our American vernacular. In their day, they used four words to express this idea. They said that our freedoms shall not be infringed, which means no. And it was to serve as a cover-all for any foreseeable circumstance and impossible to misunderstand, unless, of course, you were one of the trolls trying to keep people on your casting couch. These four simple words, which are spelled out in the Second Amendment of our Bill of Rights, say quite simply, no. You will not take our firearms because you want to. No, you will not make it more difficult for us to keep and bear arms because someone somewhere did something horrible and misused their rights. No, your fear of my firearm does not require me to disarm so that you might feel more comfortable. Just no, we do not need your permission, and we will not lay down and take your casting couch tactics in this generation, and we absolutely will not allow you to inflict your ideas on our children and our children's children. We are on to you, all you butts out there. We see your casting couch for what it is. You call it the Universal background check and the common sense gun laws. But we know what you are really about. And we know that you are asking us to give up and what you are asking us to submit to. And we, with one loud collective voice, are saying no. In closing, I just want to say that when I was a I was required to ask permission for anything I 
I wanted to do. May I easily untangle? May I wear this dress or that one? Well, I'm not a little girl anymore. And I don't see any little girls in this room before me. We do not ask for permission, most especially from the people we have hired to be our senators, congresspeople, mayors, and governors. They work at our pleasure, and we hire them with our votes. Their permission is not required for us to live our lives, raise our children, and it is absolutely not required to protect our very lives. We will not be cowed or intimidated or shouted into submission or silence. We will keep our lives that shall not be any further infringed. And we will use those rights to protect even the rights of those who will take ours. And to that poor deluded Mr. Butt, who clearly had no idea to whom he was speaking, I will fix my curls, apply some fresh lipstick, and smooth my polka dotted dress. As I continue to teach the sons and daughters of this nation about predators just like him and his nasty, costly couch of control. <laughs> My name is Sarah Kate. I'm from Minnesota. I'm a team leader with the Minnesota Governor's Caucus. And uh, when I found out that I was on the Woods panel, I was like, huh, okay, okay. Uh, I'm actually not a subject matter expert on issues and gun politics. Uh, and I, I really didn't have a lot to say on, on any of these specific issues. Um, while I do have the data, I typically don't focus on a curriculum conferences. So, can I just get a quick show of hands? Um, how many people think that guns are becoming a central issue in this culture war that's going on in our country right now? Yeah, that's a lot of people. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, we had 20,000 people at the Minnesota State Capitol calling for gun control. That is absolutely unprecedented in our state. What I would really appreciate is if they could quickly sing our time, singling out women in this audience, uh, making stand for pictures, uh, <laughs> having them with random comments. Could you just quit your event? That would be great. Um, what we need to start doing instead is leveraging our skills to drive our movement forward. So, So, really, I don't know why this is terrible. The things that we're talking about are very different. Um, I guess we have to have some comments. But I think it's, it's 
just be a person and say, sure, what was my in it? So I made a coffee and I delivered it to a spot and I went back out and I stood my spot in line. And when it was my turn to walk in and he introduced me and I walked up on stage, he was front and center. I didn't know that he was the chairman. And he didn't know I wasn't the secretary. And when he realized it, he slumped down in his seat and was like, okay. I gave my spiel, and he was the first person who raised his hand and he said, I think we should give that girl her money. <laughs> In the gun industry that I lived through in the manufacturing industry. And that shift was in the beginning of the gun industry. If you talk to my partner, Rob Campbell, you'll see that he, he's like, Yeah, I'll ask a question, and somebody would answer him. And it would be this clip all the time. That has changed. Over the years, we, we switched. How many gun bunnies do you guys see at gun shows anymore? In the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, has that shift not happened? So it was for a while that women didn't get to play. And then they shifted us up and they put us on this platform and says, look, we've got a woman, we're two. Our goal is, is that we want to kind of be running in pack with everybody else. Okay? That's really where we want to be. Because now, now we have conversations with people about what really matters. The other day, I had a gal that I was in a not-for-profit organization meeting, and she walked in after the introductions and before the conversation. And when we all done, she walked up to me and she's like, here's somebody I'd really like to get to know. What part of the gun control issue are you working on? I said, I'm working on the education portion, the empowerment portion the Second Amendment portion, and training. And it freaks her out to the point where it looked like I had handed her a rattlesnake. She seriously, seriously ran away from me with a, I can't, I can't even. And she was shaking, and the other person with me walked up and said, what did you do for I said a four-letter word, guns. That's what I did. I sat on an airplane next to a, a woman, and I was reading Dan Watts. Is he around? I was reading Dan's book, Good Gun, Bad Guy. And she asked the stewardess for a new seat because she couldn't sit next to that book. Today, just basically because of so many things. But yesterday, I was looking for a closing of the speech. 
Mr. Mallory said, someone has to speak up. Because if we stay, stay silent, the story does not get told. Directly after that, my partner, my brother, my radio brother said, you need to own it or someone else will speak for you. We own it. We're speaking. Thank you. My title is the Executive Director of the Girl and Family Ministry. Last year I spoke to this conference about the great work that the Girl and Women is doing to provide quality training and certification programs for women. This year I'd like to talk with you about another title of mine, which is the title of Mom. This title is far more personal, but it is the lens through which I view the world. I have two incredible sons and a daughter who is my hero. She is smart, funny, and beautiful, and at eight years old, she's the woman I want to be when I grow up. She is confident, wise, and strong, and has taught me what it means to be a fighter. It's been three years since my daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer. When doctors tell you that your baby has cancer, you go to war. You surround yourself with knowledge, you arm yourself with information, you raise an army of support, surround yourself with the experts and the best tools in pharmacy. She's lost her vision completely over the past three years. So she's blind in her new lifestyle, new routines and habits. So I had to fight her mindset and we were going to face this head on. I would do whatever I could to keep her safe. And you understand that because it's the same mindset that we have as gun owners to do what we have to do. We arm ourselves with tools and knowledge, and that's what we do. And that's why I decided that I'm taking the word mom back. Mom's demand action has taken it from me, and it's mine, and I want it back. Fears. 
and I'm here to celebrate your victories. That's also the mom voice. The mom voice is welcoming, encouraging, and supportive. The mom voice is also the one that gets people to the range in the first place. Having conversations with non-gunners, anti-gunners, and pro-gunners who aren't always at the range is what I do, both men and women. I connect with them, hear their stories, and I share my experiences. At a girl and a gun, we recognize that there are four archetypes of people. And that's what I'm, I kind of want to switch gears and talk to you about is the process of engagement. The more people we can have on our side, the more voices we can rally together, the larger our community grows. So when we talk about engagement, there are four types of people. So as I read through these, think about which archetype you are, which your friends are, and maybe which an anti-gunner is in your world. So the list is the superstar, the inquisitor, the know-it-all, and the social butterfly. So the superstar. Superstars want to jump in and have fun. They're searching for badassery. To them, this may be having the most expensive shotgun, having the biggest luck. It may be the most turning down on every stage at the fastest time. It may be something that they think is just cool, like being the only chick in an all-guy class of Navy SEAL. Whatever they think is cool, get your superstar to the range by making him or her feel like they can cool. <laughs> For the non-gunner or anti-gunner, focus on the conversation on fun, competition, opportunity, and excitement, and things that they will resonate with. Superstars are spontaneous, so don't overload them with info and making plans. Just say, come on, we're going to do this and do that. The next one is the inquisitor. This question is coming. Yeah, a burning question. They want to know the hows, the whys, the what ifs. Credentials are important to them. So if you don't have a lengthy list of credentials and training uh, and classes that you've taken, bring in some big guys who can really talk to them through the inquisitors will see through that. They want to make sure they're doing it right. Inquisitors also love checklists. You go to my website, girlinthegun.org, we have checklists for our inquisitors. What to take to the range, what to take to a match, what to take if you're taking to a movie to the range, all kinds of checklists. Inquisitors love a plan. Next is the know-it-all. This is the smartest guy in the room. He has to be the smartest guy in the room. He or she won't believe that you may understand something well enough, or you may be intimidated by that. So, to get the know-it-all, you have to go geek. They love research and development, and most of all, self-mastery, so give the know-it-all a chance to be smart. They can be on a really fast, but not right away. It may take class or two, or three, before you can get the know-it-all behind the trigger. And finally, the social butterfly. Social butterflies like collaboration and teamwork, and they like to feel like what they do makes a difference. Social butterflies love, love that they're securing a legacy for their children through Second Amendment rights, and they enjoy supporting nonprofits and good programs like Foster. They love fostering a community of like-minded people that are working to honor, educate, and inspire. Over the past eight years, we at Girl and Gun have brought thousands of people into shooting community. We believe there is a yes hidden in every doubt. Sometimes it's budget, time, lack of understanding, or another obstacle that can be addressed. 
out-of-the-heart conversations and changing no's to yeses first starts with listening. You have to know who you're talking to. You will waste your time trying to teach Mills and Moa to a superstar. They just want to get out there and come steal. Save your Mills and Moa education with a know-it-all. Tailor your message to your audience. Give your inquisitor. Don't rush the inquisitor to the range. Give them a plan to feel successful. This way you can have the biggest effect. It's using your mom voice, both as an instructor and cheerleader, to help people embrace the best tools and practices for their fantasy. Taking the word mom back, or dad, or grand, or guardian, or whoever you are is building our community so that we can secure our gun rights for future generations. Thank you. on what's going to end up being a 5,000-mile road trip around Texas. I'm traveling around with the goal of training everyday Texans in the legislative process and making activism accessible for the everyday Texans so they can show up when it matters. Because yes, I'm going to be working in the Texas legislature. I'm gearing up now for the session that begins in January. We'll have five short months, so then we're on break for a year and a half. I want to pass everything that I can, and I want to stop over backwards, but I know I can't do it alone. And so I am eager to have all the help of all the grassroots in Texas. So I'm doing these trades, and I'm learning a lot of things. So the first thing I've learned, Texas is a really big state. So I mean, for real, try driving across West Texas, okay? And you're like, you know, I really should have stopped at that rest station 150 miles ago, because I really have to go, and all I see is longer rotation. You know, it's 50 miles from the next gas station or 200 or something like that. Texas is a big state and it's full of amazing people. So, another thing that I'm learning is that gun rights brings us together if we talk about it for the right reasons. So, here's the deal uh, I want you to think for a minute is there any loved one, a friend, a family member, somebody you know in your life who does not carry a gun that you would like very much for them to carry a gun to save their lives? Okay, good, me too. So I want you to think about that person for a minute. Does this person have a, a major need in their life for a new hobby? They need some way to spend their free time. They need some way to spend a whole lot of money. They need something to do on the weekend, right? Is this a need in their life? Probably not for most of them. But now think about this. Is saving their own life and winning in a worst case scenario is that a potential need in their life? Is that a much more compelling argument? See, I think that's the thing that we have in common. A need for self-preservation, a need to save our own lives, a desire to win in a fight. Not a desire for a new hobby. So when we talk about gun rights, let's use it to bring us together because we're talking about it for all the right reasons. Saving for gun rights. So when we're talking about gun rights, why do we use them? Why do we stand up for rights to carry? Is it so we can always have that fun little thing ready when we go to the range and don't have to get out of the closet? Is that really what we carry here? I don't think so. That's not why I carry mine. I'm not sure I'd go into trouble if that was the only reason. Going to the range and shoot for fun is the only reason. But I would go into trouble to carry it because that gives me a tool that, in the worst case scenario, I have a fighting chance at saving my own life. That's why I carry that. That's why I fight for the rest. And when we talk about it that way, 
we need to save our money. We realize that utilization that healthcare and drug rights protects us, not only physical protection from the worst case scenario from the bad guy, but also ultimately the purpose of the Second Amendment is a defense against the tyrannical government. It protects us, it's the thing that protects all the other rights. And so
And you know what we saw? We saw that the moms took in action. They always show up in those red shirts. But you know what? We have power when we show up. We have people from every sphere of life show up. It's not what people think of as stereotypical mothers, because you know what? Young mothers come from every stripe, every type. And we show up and we prove that we are Texas and that moms in action does not speak for all of Texas and certainly does not speak for all women. We show them what it matters, and that's how we are moving the issue forward. In 20, so many of y'all think of Texas as being this great gun rights state that does not deserve that reputation. It was only in 2015 that Texas boldly went where 44 states have already gone, and we passed license open care. So if you have a license to carry, you can take your shirt and you can put it on the other side of your gun. We finally got that in 2015. So we were pretty far behind the curve. But you know what? We were already talking about constitutional carry as a result of the fact that we didn't agree to talk about only little bits of legislation, but we decided we were going to talk about what we actually wanted and why we wanted it. We are so much closer to moving forward constitutional carry in Texas. We came back in 2017, we did so much harder because we followed what I think is the number one rule of activism. You show up. If nothing else, you show up and you figure out what it matters and you're there and you're going to play. That you, that every day 
Every citizens are the ones who are most qualified to make their own voice heard. I said that as a grassroots volunteer. Today, even as a registered lobbyist, which admittedly is very strange for me, I will still say you are the ones most qualified to make your voice heard. And in my capacity, I want to empower every citizen to make your voice heard. So I'm going to leave you with this. Rule of activism number one, show up with others. Thank you so much.
this year, we will by the end of the year, we'll have at least four classes, and um, I would guess we'll end up with at least eight next year. It's going gangbusters. Um, I'm going to take my uh, portion of this to talk briefly about what the myths are out there about our school staff um, and the policies that are out there. So currently, there are 37 states that have some sort of lawful path to um, allowing armed staff in K-12 campuses. Not all of them use it, um, but there is some lawful path in 37 states, which is, um, yeah, we're getting there. So what are some of the things that we hear? This is sort of a combo of what we see in Colorado and uh, what Ohio's experience has been over the last six years. So what are some of the biggest myths about our staff? Whether you're in one of those 37 states and you're talking about this in your state, or whether you're in a state where this isn't happening anytime this year, um, but you're hearing a lot of discussion, especially in the aftermath of these um, school shootings, you're hearing discussion, you're hearing uh, national news conversations about this. Um, so I want to equip you with some, um, some answers to the most common ones. So number one, why are you arming teachers? So let's talk about the words there. Number one, nobody is arming anybody. So faster states lives, faster Colorado. We train armed school staff, but nobody is pulling up to schools with a wheelbarrow full of guns and saying, I'm against. That is not what's happening. So if you hear that language out there, arming teachers, don't buy it. The other um, interesting thing is with the word teachers. Uh, about 60% of the folks that come through both in Colorado and Ohio aren't teachers. They're, they're administrators or janitors. They're uh, lunch ladies, school bus drivers, all sorts of folks like that. I think there are people out there who are opposed to armed staff policies who use the word teachers on purpose. And they use it so that we'll think of um, that young lady who just graduated from college who's tiny and frail and terrified, or that person who is in their last year before retirement. They, they want us to think of something, by the way, I had both of those women in my classroom, put my grandbabies in, in their classroom any day, but they want us to think of a, a particular person, and it's not those strong people that we see out there. The other one uh, around uh, along those lines is that we shouldn't require teachers to carry guns. Nobody's requiring anybody to carry a firearm any more than we say concealed carry is legal, so we should make everybody carry that. It is completely ridiculous, but it's really the number one thing that we hear. Um, we hear that the cops, if they get to the scene of a, a school shooting, won't know who the bad guy is and who the good guy is. Probably the second one we hear. Second most common one here. Um, number one, we teach that in, in class. Uh, we teach them that it is their job as the army staff member not to get shot by the class. And they, they get that. They know what they're signing up for. Um, but we, we talk about that. We know that that's the most dangerous, uh, dangerous part of, of the event is that link up with law enforcement. Um, there's all, all kinds of other things in that, like most of these things end before law enforcement ever gets there. Um, but it's just not, uh, it's not something that we're concerned about because we teach so heavily around that. Um, and 
I'll do um, one last one and turn this over to Jen. By the way, this is kind of a, um, a frequently asked questions document and this myths document at pastorcolorado.com. Um, it's easily downloadable to print, and lots of parents are taking um, taking these to school board meetings and so forth. Um, the last one I'll uh, mention quickly: schools can't afford school supplies. Teachers are buying school supplies out of their own pocket. How? Are they, how is the school going to afford to get them done? Well, first of all, most of these folks have guns already. They have already made the decision outside of their job at a school to carry a concealed firearm to defend themselves and their family. They're simply disarmed today when they walk into school. And what we've learned in um, Colorado from Faster Saves Lives in Ohio is that we need to do everything we can to raise money for those schools that can't afford it, and that's most of them. Because we want to make sure that if God forbid the worst happens, they have the ability in that school to, to save lives and stop bad things from happening to children. And I will turn it over to Jim. Good afternoon. My name is Jim Irvine, one of the directors of the Master Saves Lives program. Master's in academic stands for faculty, administrator, safety training, and emergency response. And it's a program whose goal is to make schools so safe that some coward who wants to kill people will never even try it in their schools again. But I want to relate how this impacts and how it relates to every other topic we talk about this weekend. Consider that in the San Diego McDonald's, somebody walked in and shot 40 people, 21 of them died. But most people don't even know about that. But when somebody killed 13 kids in Columbine, they rocked our world. More recently, the Pulse nightclub was a large-scale mass killing. It got two weeks and we moved on. We had Las Vegas, where 500 people shot. We had a lot of interest in bump stock bands and AR stuff. But really, no traction has that gotten most of the country. 17 kids died in Parkland, and the ground is still shaking in the world through next year. We need to understand more important than the number of people killed is where they're killed. Our battles that we fight are largely defined by several key events that over and over again happen in schools. It's been that way for 20 years. It's going to be the way, that way for us going forward. So, what we want to do is, is understand that our society understands we protect things of value with our security. President Obama's children had armed staff in their school. It was a secret service. We protect politicians and CEOs and celebrities with armed security. And no one thinks the two guys protecting the race truck in the mall are dangerous because psychologically that uniform equates to training and safety. So our proposal was, look, we can train school staff in a few days to perform better at this one little mission of stopping the active killer than the average law enforcement officer. Law enforcement will drive and say, yeah, right. So it's not a fight. And they did. And they showed it. Actually, the teachers showed it. And they showed themselves. 
They thought, wow, this is really neat. So we got buy-in from law enforcement on stuff. Uh, one thing I want to mention is the term active killer I use. I'm an active shooter. A lot of you are active shooters. Don't let them denigrate us with the use of that term. There's a big difference between shooting and killing. Words matter. We need to define this on our terms. So with law enforcement, Parkland was an interesting one because we had video of a police officer. His gun and his badge, his bulletproof vest, standing outside of school while the kids died. People were shocked. Because they didn't know that they had any vote in other places. Meanwhile, we had Victoria Soto and Coach Vice laying down their lives to protect the kids. That's mindset for you folks. It's in every school. So why do our cows do that? A lot of people think they're cowards. There are certain cowards in law enforcement just like there are in every other occupation. But I don't think the cowards are the first ones to see time of your I think it's something else. I think it's a failure of training. I've seen it in Ohio and I've seen it in multiple other states where our law enforcement are not trained as well as we wish they were trained and hope they were trained. And sometimes as well as they think themselves are trained. But when you expose them to really good training, they love it because they're good people and they want to succeed in this and they want their schools to be safe because that's where their kids go. And they're not there. So this, this program has grown up in about the training, and with that comes the buy-in. And it, while it starts slow, and it will start slow in your states, just like one class more did last year, you won't see it sprouting on the ground, but they will, and it will happen. This year, when we announced the class dates, our first class was filled in 24 hours, the second class in the week. We had all the two classes full with what we had. We got swamped. We had five more classes in Ohio and Indiana, more I had a class. In the last six, five and a half years, Buckeye Ferris Foundation has raised and invested over $1 billion to train 2,000 school staff members in 250 districts. I'd love to take credit for that because it's already from the Buckeye Farmers who have done the work that they had happen. So at this point, we offer level one, level two, and level three class. We offer standalone medical class. We offer a standalone mindset of one high white class. We've opened up to churches and other businesses. We really want to go to Texas and go class this fall. So if you're in Texas and you've got schools that want to do this, let us know. All we need are the schools who want to participate. And I guarantee they're there and the funding to make it happen. We're also talking with Arizona, Georgia, Florida, and New York. And if we're talking about it in New York, we should be talking about it in every single state. The money is the issue. So I need you guys to be allowed your state legislators with some funds. I'm working on another fund on the federal side to get some federal money for this program. I'm working on it, I'm not betting on it. So that's why the state funding is important. We got 100 grade in Ohio for two years in a row. It's really neat, but it's not near enough. 
And politically, what we're going back asking for, we can't use that money from your states. So it's got to come from your own states. But I know every grassroots lobby is going, yeah, they're going to say yes to that. I know. So here's your backup plan of how you get it. Medical. Ohio also gave a $25,000 grant two years from residents to equipment for our schools. Joe told me it's not enough, so they can. So Joe said, all right, we're going to cap at $1,000 a district so nobody can take too much. But I'm not giving anybody anything until they spend money on it. We'll just put a dollar for dollar match. And I'm not even going to announce it. I'm only going to work with districts who will actively seek us out. And 25000 for two years is gone in nothing less. That's the demand that's out there in your schools. Ohio is not going to be that. It's not controversial. And once you can get the medical stuff going in your schools and you get them thinking about this and working on this, even the newest person will eventually figure out a team of people who want to turn against on kids as they're being shot. There's a lot better way to stop and kill her before she's next. This will happen in every district in this country. I've seen it grow for six years. It is coming. I guarantee it. We want to help you. We want to partner with you. We want to make it happen in your state. Get, get that seat planted and get it going. We are changing the indoctrination that's been going on in our schools. We're winning the hearts and minds where it matters. And we have changed so many of those anti-gun people who now are comforted by the fact that their fellow teacher down the hall has a gun in their school to protect them. Thank you. Have a great day. It will continue and expand. I believe uh, Betsy Voss lost or was sued when she tried to give money to the states for these kind of programs. So we have to go back and see what we can do to get the money that is needed for this. And my home school district, they just uh, built a bunch of brand new schools. They have one exit in, uh, one way in, one way out. They, they, Yes, it's, uh, definitely a pleasure to be back here in the conference. 
Uh, my favorite topic to talk to you all is training. I'm a training counselor with the National Rifle Association. I'm also a credential firearm instructor. And approximately uh, seven years ago, I was at home and I was watching the news and the broadcast. You know, from time to time back home in Detroit, we hear sometimes fairly too often to hear some unfortunate incidents that are occurring, you know, in our neighborhoods and the streets. And I caught wind of one particular story that I thought was especially vile, evil, and heinous. It was a story about a woman who had been attacked and had been killed, murdered, and her body was just thrown and discarded in the streets. It was really disturbing and distressing to me on so many different levels that, you know, I just looked like, wow, that's really bad. Someone should do something about that. And, you know, it just bothered me. It stayed for quite some time. And then eventually, you know, I realized, hey, guess what? I am somebody. I'm a firearms trainer. I'm experienced, trained. I can do something about this. So I figured I could make a contribution on some level to attempt to make a difference. So I went to my social media, right? I'm a social media guy. I'm on all the major social media. At all, one that really matters. Just about everyone here is on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, few others that are out there. And I just leverage my, my presence on all of those social media sites, and I just basically had a call, asked call. And I was like, you're a woman who is concerned about your safety and you have a desire to take one of the more active roles in your personal protection. I'm your guy. Come to me on this date and what we will do, we will have a free firearms training. More paid is not a pocket. I have it covered. I have the guns, I have the ammo, me and a couple of fellow firearms trainers, we will be there every step of the way. We will ensure that you are safe. And this is charge. And you know, I had some people that were a little leery, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Well, in this case, it really was free. It, it came from a good place because as much as I was affected by the personal story of just seeing someone brutally killed and discarded in the struggles. And so that first week, that first year that I ran this program, it happened to be in conjunction with some other activities that I had. And uh, one other activity that I had at an open carry tent, I'm a big open carry advocate. I'm always geared towards people openly displaying their guns and carry. So get an open carry tent and where someone showed up with their guns. And my keynote speaker, very good friend of mine, I've known him for about 14, 15 years. You probably heard of Ken, black man with his guns, flashing. <laughs> And then came there and we were talking about the ladies and I did. I was happy that I had some ladies come out. I had two women come out. But uh, you know, the first time you do something, you know, if you're not used to recruiting people for a brand new program, 
probably have some unrealistic expectations. I'm expecting hundreds of women, right? And I got 50. You know, I was I was really disappointed. Kevin was like, man, what are you talking about? That was awesome. That was great. 50 women who weren't trained before. Now they're training, they're ready to go to my shoes, my firearms. You are empowering them. You know, Neo ate the cookie, right? You felt better right away. That's how I felt yesterday. So undaunted, the next year we had 100 women, 200 women, 300, 400, 600, and And we had 700 show up for this one day training this past May. And we all. Whatsoever about women and firearms. There are fastest growing segments of firearms buyers and of firearms education. It is where the industry is moving, and we need to be there and to support them and give them the encouragement that they need to continue. I have enjoyed more, and I feel so great with power. Thank you so very much. So as we know, the city of Chicago had no ban on firearms for nearly three decades. The state of Illinois was the last state in the United States of America to get concealed care. We all know that what we see and hear from the news about the city of Chicago is all negative energy, all negative feedback, everything is crying, wrong terminology for you, using gun violence, instead of accepting the fact that the city of Chicago is dealing with gang violence. We know that there are no lawful, law abiding citizens out in the city of Chicago committing these crimes each and every day. But when we take a look at what the mainstream media has done to manipulate the minds of the citizens in this city, they are not only lying to them, they are playing games with their lives. We at Chicago Lives Matter were the plaintiffs that took on the city of Chicago to restore gun rights here for law abiding citizens. Each and every day, we see the political powers to be. Mayor Ron Emanuel, Superintendent Eddie Johnson, Tony Pregnickle, so on and so forth, continue to impose more gun control on the law abiding citizens. This does nothing to combat the violence that's here in the city of Chicago. The criminals are not going to stop committing crimes that is their job. We see an enormous amount of gun-free zones. 
We know that gun-free zones, as my friend Elijah Rowe would say, are killing zones. Because it's still violent, it's still a violation on our rights where we can't carry on mass transit, parks, and other places as well. So when you take a look at what we deal with on a daily basis, all of you that came here, let me say thank you for coming to the city of Chicago. And I know you in the back of your mind, the violence ends first. Oh, I'm going to Chicago. Give me a call. <laughs> you know, when we look and see the mayor literally take this as his agenda to say all gun ownership is bad. And I got that information just by talking to law enforcement officers over a four-day span at an event that I had. They know it's wrong. It is what they're being fed, it is what they're being told. So it's easy for people to accept what the mainstream media is telling them versus doing their homework, getting the information, processing that information, and sharing it with us. So when I take a look at the political powers to be here, it's easy for them to ask for a but yet they all walk around with paid armed security as if their lives are more important than ours. The mayor of the city of Chicago is not running for re election. Let me get around and talk for that. I think we can get enough blood when they've got the message. Because what we're going to do is we're not going to stop. We're going to continue fighting. We're going to continue to make our voices heard. We're not going to go away. For each and every situation that occurs where they want to impose more gun control on the law abiding citizens, we will be there to say, no, we're not going to take it. I all of you guys, you know who we are. You know the litigation, you know the cases. We put faces to the case. So if you do your part and say, you know what, I was in Chicago. Some people don't know we can carry in the city of Chicago. So let me clarify something. We have to still carry in the state of Illinois. We can carry in the city of Chicago. There's nothing restricting us right now because we thought that we won those spaces in the courtroom. So when you start to talk about Chicago, let's be enlightened. You know, speaking of positive matters, we've done the work. These cases have been fought, they have been won, the foundation has been laid. So if we, the firearm community, take a positive outlook on what has been done thus far, and we spread that energy, 
we can do better as well. Chicago is not the same state wanting you to believe it is. Because these are gang members of the owners. These are not everyday law-abiding citizens. Going out and saying, well, oh, I don't know how you to come and tell me to go do a drive Right? So you're here, and I'm saying that for a reason. So the next time you have a conversation with someone about the city of Chicago, whether you live in the city or not, you still have a concealed carry license. You have a firearms home identification card to have possess a firearm outside of your home in case you're not carrying it. The citizens of the city of Chicago made that possible. So we're not going to be segregated from the rest of the state of Illinois. But politically, we pretty much have to deal with it. We know that. But as I look and I see the future we have about 15 candidates running for mayor, none of them are capable of standing up for Second Amendment rights. This is something that they're not going to respect. Yes, it probably take more litigation, and we know they're tired of losing. We know they're tired of paying out. But we will continue to put our foot on their necks each and every time. Because we are here and we are not going away. Is how to 
on your arsenal there. Okay, because there is something missing from the Patriots arsenal. I want to educate you on that. That makes perception. So recently I did a speech at the State Capitol in the state of Missouri. This is the best example, I, recent example I have. So I'm gonna do what you guys do. Let's be honest, let's be very honest. Give me your natural reaction, your natural God-given reaction when I say 1776. Perception. Did everybody see how the room change? Now, I can tell you, understanding perception and being very, very aware because I'm an American citizen, I can tell you, 1774 transferred over to 1775, which part of what transpired in 1776. As I look out this room, I look at all the great people that have won all the great battles to win this war. You want to win. Like 
We have to get to perception. So put that in your arsenal and use it. Moving on to my next point. And I really hope that resounds with you guys. I really do. Because we're all Americans. And I'm not trying to say that we should go back and be victims and feel like, no, 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 no. I'm not a victim of nothing. Try to make me a victim and see how I respond. Okay? How do we actually aid? Now, there's something that I'll really come a little bit irritated with. I'll be honest with you. My friends, I'm not really mad. I need to just get irritated. Black and black. You know how we get upset when people say gun violence? Quite a few things happen. Gun violence is violence, right? Violence is violence is violence, right? Well, here's another small list of perception for you. What if I was to tell you that it's not black on black crime, it's just crime? Go out and say that. And I want to tell you this as well. Remember and be cautious, because I don't think there's a bad part of the moment. I want to find some But remember, when you are addressing people, you're trying to address their communities, you're trying to really, really spread the good word. I want you to remember this. I'm not talking to inner city people. You are talking to Americans. You're talking to Americans. Talk to your American brother with love. And in this country, now I'm sorry. Okay, so this one thing I'm kind of regret. I didn't serve. I was trying to get out. Yeah, I did serve. At the same time, though, I understand that our military brother and I was saying that they don't leave a man behind. So we don't leave Americans behind. Not in the country. Now, I also hear a lot of people from all over the world arguing about things saying, oh, well, this is probably we need to fix it. Well, let me tell you guys about something. So, show of hands, who's ever heard of Amy for the truth? Amy for the truth. Awesome. So roughly two to three percent of this audience, that's about to change right now. We'll be your ears. So when we talk about violence, one of the things we like to say is we don't like when people say, oh, it's the gun. It's right. It's not. It's not. However, what do we do to resolve it? So I've seen a lot of things. Hey, let's just educate people on school. I'm not going to get me. Education is not great. Oh, well, we're going to write bills. That's stupid. Lost my word. Okay, moving on. What's next? Well, how about this? So I started this program called Aiming for the Truth. Yes, it is a play on words. It's aiming, right? We want to aim for the truth around violence. What is causing people to be violent? And let's do the dirty work and get to the root killer at the roots. Let's kill violence and stuff. So in aiming for the truth, this is what we do. We address mental illness. We are addressing rebuilding the family. All right? I didn't have a dad. And I put 70, counting 70 fathers back with their kids in the last two years. I'm not kidding. Years old, that are prone to be saying, 
the saying, you'd rather be carried by 12 and judged by six. That was the thing that I left by going through my case. And I knew I did the right thing. If I had a firearm, I would be dead today. But unfortunately, Wayne County prosecutors didn't see it that way. So I had to go through the process. I had to stick it out. I had to fight through legal, legal battles, and I also had to fight through the fact that I was being judged all across the news. Like I said, if you pull your phone up, you can type in the Santa Claus shooter box as well. My face put all the news, and I was perceived as a bad guy. I had a daughter. My daughter had to see this and go to the school and say, Daddy, why are you calling the Santa shooter? Why is this something you need to question parents to talk, kids to talk? It's what they do. So it was a situation that had to be mentally tough. Had to figure my way through, get all the scraps. I'm not rich by no means, but you figure when you have to pull on four hundred, uh, excuse me, forty, uh, forty-five thousand dollars worth of legal fees, you, you have to stretch out all your resources from church, friends, family, no funding, anything you can do to make sure that you're not going to prison. So of course, I had my journal. Wrote down things that I was feeling at that moment. Why did I do this? Of course, you plan this over and over again, and you do it the right way. The Wayne County prosecutors held that the 911 tape that the clerk actually initiated the call stating there was a shooting for two individuals, one wearing a Santa suit, and another one was an Arabic male who ran to the car. The main Guy who started the whole conversation fled back to his country, which was Yemen, and of course he didn't show up in court. The 911 tape wasn't admitted because the clerk who initially made the 911 tape disappeared as well. And for those of you who have been in the GRPC a few times, those of you who read my book know that banishing witnesses seemed like it just was something that was just going to be a part of this case. It was just something I had to deal with. I had to figure out how to get around getting evidence into the case when the witness didn't show up because now it's well we can't cross examine the witness so that's hearsay and yes they said a 911 tape is hearsay yes never made it to the court never made it to the case i had to use what i had available to prove my innocence without a 911 tape that stated exactly what happened <laughs> luckily there was other pieces of evidence out there to pull in and uh, help me get exonerated. Now, after being exonerated, last year actually, actually, I'm sorry, 2016, I'm actually reading from the court order here. 6 20, 2016, I was exonerated initially. Seven felonies, okay, keep that in mind. I'm driving down, I uh, can't remember the street, but somewhere close to the coming back from a uh, conference. He just let me know what mentioned in the lab. Police pulled me over. It's been over about seven, eight months after the initial case was dismissed. And they read, uh, they pulled me over at my place and the broken tail light or tail light was out and um, wrote that they pulled me over and said, you do not, you're not supposed to be out here. Like, what? So, um, my name was still running was still coming up because I was being faced with these fellows, even after I was exonerated. Okay, so I go back, talk to the court. Oh, we will take care of it. Oh, by the way, where's my gun? Oh, we're going to go to the police station. I never got that back, and my name's still not there. Okay, 
still try to block my carriage, maybe my gun back. Still, name coming up, not exonerated. I did not get exonerated from my case until 2017. This happened in 2014. So I carry this with me everywhere I go because if I got pulled over in Atlanta, they had already convinced me I've been locked up in jail because I've been, of course, out of my jail, out of my area, they're not supposed to get the state and face these felonies. So even today, I carry this in my pocket just in case on my way back to Detroit, they decide, well, you're not exonerated, your name's not clear. Let's lock you up in Jackson. This is the reality of the aftermath of self-defense that you have to go through. So, what can we do? Of course, you have insurance. You have to think you uh, different uh, programs you can be involved in, but awareness and education is really just key. Everyone in here have a knowledge, have a network. Open yourself up to it, get as much knowledge as you can. And if you know anyone going through the situation or, or is unfamiliar with the situation of an aftermath of self defense, tell them to get this book. Because I will tell you right now the process and how drawn out it's going to be is, is something that I wouldn't wish on anyone in here. Everyone talks about what they would do if encountered with someone who is threatening their life or life of another, you have a split-second decision you have to make. You pull that fire, and all that training that you do sometimes goes out the window. You're already with the fight, flight, I said fire. So fight, flight, fire, you're gonna run, you're gonna freeze, and you're Rick is always keeping me on track. So, of course, the Santa Claus shooter was under the unfortunate name I was given. So, I named the book The Santa Claus Shooter Guilty to Proven Innocent. And it's a must read for anyone who's a caring, concealed, who has ever had to go to a situation like I did, or hopefully you won't have to. You want to be uh, proactive, not reactive. And the last thing I want to leave you off with tonight is, uh, man, you know. I listen to all the speakers. I'm just still thinking, like, I need a punchline. Everybody was great. I'm just like, man. But as far as the urban outreach, we're going back to Detroit. Rick and I drove here. This was actually the closest conference. He did a line out in Dallas and Tampa to the conference. And this is the closest conference I've had as far as proximity being from Detroit. So this was a no brainer for me. So I can just jump in the car, make that four and a half hour drive. Like Kevin said, and Rick said, everyone said, it doesn't stop here. We must, when we leave here, expand our networks and reach out to those areas that are less fortunate and don't have the resources like the Chicago, like New Jersey, like the Detroit. I think the next conference within this, I think about a five year time frame, needs to be in Detroit.
This was almost 25 years ago. Well, in fact, the Second Amendment wasn't even considered a very prosperous ground to attack this on. It was, in fact, on the constitutional basis that it violated the Commerce Clause. It was, in fact, on a constitutional basis that it violated the Equal Protection Clause of the Fifth Amendment. But it was not attacked on Second Amendment grounds. And the courts found that it did not violate the Commerce Clause. It did not violate the Equal Protection Clause. And that it held it. However, the most important piece of that legislation was the fact that it, re it was repealed under its own terms, September 13, 2004. Now, of course, since 2004, there have been many attempts to revise it and re-implement it. All of those attempts have failed, and I fully anticipate that H.R. 505087 will fail as well. However, I want to talk about this because it is a cautionary tale. It will be revived, and it has become the focal point Assault weapons and high-capacity magazines have become the number one talking point in politics today with regard to the issue of gun control. In fact, no case better illustrates this than the Senate race that is happening right now in my home state of Texas, where Senator Ted Cruz is fighting off a challenge from a current congressman from El Paso, Robert Francis O'Rourke. I won't use his nickname uh, that he is marking himself under. But Robert Francis O'Rourke has very, very clearly said on multiple occasions, as recently as last night's first recorded debate, that he does not believe that people should own ARs. He does not believe that the that people, the regular citizens, are capable of owning weapons of war, as he calls them. And that's one of our great battles, is that we have to reclaim the language, we have to reclaim the nomenclature, and tell people that these are not, in fact, weapons of war. Next slide. So HR 507, this again, as I say, illustrates the brazenness. They didn't try to get any kind of euphemistic titles. They came right out and told us exactly what it is. The regulate the importation, manufacture, possession, single or transfer of assault weapons and for other purposes. And it was filed back in October of last year. It was refiled again at the Parkland shooting, February 26, 2008. It is co-sponsored. Like I said, the reason that this law is important because it is not a fringe proposal. It was not put forward by a congressman who thought it would have no chance of passing, but he wants to make his day in the sun. He wants to grab his headline. This is co-sponsored by 176 out of 193 Democratic congressmen. Its companion bill, Senate Bill 2095, the assault weapons ban of 2017, is co-sponsored by 30 Democrats and Bernie Sanders. And unlike 1994, this is extremely important for you to remember, Unlike 1994, it passed and becomes law. HR 5087 does not expire. It will stay the law until it is repealed. So it is important that it never becomes a law in the first place. Now, the 1994 assault weapons ban, the power by a little just to show you how kind of low key it was compared to 5087. It bans nine types of firearms by name, including copies of AKs, 
So you have all eight gangs. Who's using the other Beretta AR-70s, Colt AR-15s. Okay? They were still calling them super Colt AR-15s. Uh, all FNs, uh, SWVs, M10s, and Lemon Mines, and M12s, Spiralls, Intertech Mines, where they hated Intertech Mines. Still there, yes. And shotguns with cylinders, strict keepers and striker flights. In contrast, in contrast, HR 57 bans these rifles by hand. So uh, back then, they only banned firearms. Now they have separated into firearms. Pistols and shotguns. So they have these rifles by name as well as all kinds of things. All AK types, all AR types, including probably out 100, but probably out 44 of them by name. So it's no longer just the Colt they are making, 44 different ones by name. 24 other named rifle manufacturers, including eight different FNs, five different HKs. Uh, with uh, five different SIGs, 14 different Thompsons, three different Uzis. It also bans these pistols by name as well as Thompson's Uzis. All AK type pistols, including nine by name, all AR style pistols, including 13 by name, and 12 other named pistol manufacturers, including four types of Intercepts and eight different Macs and all Uzis. It also bans these shotguns by name as well as Thompson's all the Shots, Sega Street Keepers, Strike Wells, and three others by name. Uh, I looked at the list and I was like, wow, about a third to half of my gun collection is all about my name. I didn't know whether to feel scared or kind of well in my collection. Now, the most insidious part of 5087 is whenever we look at the definition of what now is an assault rifle. So, now you're not even paying attention to the ones that are called out by name, just put in the description. So, in 1994, our assault rifle was an ACL automatic with a detachable magazine that had two or more features a bowling or telescoping stock, stock, pistol grip, a bayonet mount, which a lot of people used back then, uh, flash suppressors or threaded barrels, or a grenade launcher. Right? So, now, of course, uh, now, it is going to be a semi-automatic rifle with a detachable magazine that has only one of these features. Okay, back then, you could have one, but have two. Now, can't even have one. So just think about the number of rifles that this encompasses. A semi-automatic rifle with a detachable magazine that has a pistol grip, or a forward grip, or a folded stop, or a grenade launcher or rocket launcher. Uh, which, by the way, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, or a barrel shroud, or guess what? If you're the type of person that loves to shoot rifles with suppressors, guess how hard that's going to be when your rifle can't have a threaded barrel. So we see that the rifle on top was legal before 1994 and was re-legalized since 2004. So manufacturers, of course, went to the drawing board. They're like, well, people don't really use bayonet gloves. We'll take those off. People really, you know, we can, we can have an effective rifle without a flash suppressor. So we'll take off the flash suppressor. Uh, but, you know, people like this grip. So we'll leave those. It's got this grip. So what? It's not a solid rifle. So the bottom one was legal between 94 and 2004. However, under the new definition, maybe this shows how insidious they are that they learned. I guess from their quote unquote 
the space, that rifle would be banned under HR 587. So assault pistols. This is really, really where I think the rubber hits the road, is with the assault pistol. Because of course we hear about assault rifles all the time, but they want to go after pistols as well. So under the 94 ban, a still automatic pistol with a detachable magazine, this is all of them. Uh, it had to have two or more features, a macro outside of the pistol grip, that's how the way I think the technology comes, a threaded barrel, a barrel shroud that weighed more than 50 ounces, or it was a semi-automatic version of the water. We had to have two of those. So most pistols, most handguns, were not regulated by the original 1994 band. However, under the new band, 5087, if it has any one of these features, again, you like to shoot suppressors with your handgun, I'll shoot you without a threaded barrel because you can't have it. Can I have a threaded barrel? Can I have a second pistol grip, which always regulated by the National Firearms Act? Can I have a barrel shroud? Can I have a Manuel outside of pistol grip? Can I have, and can I have a fixed knife in one of the rounds? But what's most insidious is it cannot be a semi automatic version of a full auto handgun. So I pose a question to you. What's the difference between these three blocks? Block model 17, block model 18, block model 19. They all shoot the exact same amount of ammunition, 9 by 19 millimeters. They all look identical. They are all basically the same model. However, the middle one, block 18, is select fire. Now, it's not available to civilians, really. I'm sure there are a few on the market out there. Pakistan. You know, they're not really doable, but it is a full auto version of your everyday product. And now, since the new assault weapons ban covering handguns would only require one of the prohibited features, it is my opinion that it would be highly arguable by an extremely motivated anti gun U.S. attorney to basically say every single block is now a prohibited assault weapon. Because it's a semi-automatic, it's nothing more than a semi-automatic version of a Glock Model 18. Right? Assault shotguns. You really don't see a lot of these, but it is kind of interesting. So back in 94, it had to have at least two. Holding stock, pistol grip. They really hate pistol grips. They despise pistol grips. Uh, fixed magazine with more than five rounds of dashing rounds. Now it's a semi-automatic shotgun. Okay, so you know, those folks who like their like their letters, like their pumps, that's okay. She does find that semi-automatic. Semi-automatic shotgun that has only one of the features. It's got a pistol grip, too bad. It's got a folding stock or detachable stock, stock you can remove. It's not. Fixed magazine of one to five rounds, detachable magazine, forward grip, a grenade rocket launcher, forward volume, so, so they greatly expanded the number of uh, now, one of the most disturbing things is that if HR 5087, if, if any assault weapons ban passes on the federal law, that's what I must have worried about. Like I said, not in Texas, our state will not be passing an assault weapons ban anytime soon. In fact, the state law actually prohibits cities and counties and other municipalities from passing their own bans. 
so I'm not really worried about it on my state level, but if there are other folks who uh, states that have already done states that may do this, but I'm extremely worried about it on the federal level. And unfortunately, we've had a history since Calvin. You know, I know that we love our Dollar, it's a fantastic case. We love our Dollar, it's a fantastic case. However, there have been four cases, four cases that have upheld state and local assault weapons bans and bans on high capacity magazines. However, two, which was a very important case. Basically, it upheld the DC ban on assault weapons and high capacity magazines. Important about Heller too, Justice Kavanaugh, well, Judge Kavanaugh, hopefully Justice Kavanaugh, uh, wrote a very stirring dissent where he gladly picked up the Heller matter, the second one, and carried it forward with the sympathy against the majority opinion. He's got some great evidence, and that alone would be enough to vouch for his need on the Supreme Court. Freeman versus the Ohio Park. Of course, the period of Illinois, Ohio Park is about 15 miles from the one year. They currently had a terrible ban, but it was upheld as constitutional. I know one of the speakers earlier said that they would like to be consensus to re examine it. Fantastic. More power to them. Uh, New York, State Rifle and Missile Association versus Cuomo, uh, upheld. Um, all the aspects about the New York assault weapons ban and how to pass magazine, except for the seven round limit for the government of Uh So that was the only thing that was uh, struck down in that. And then, of course, the most important case in my opinion, showing that we cannot look to the courts to protect our rights. Every single person in government is sworn, makes an oath to uphold the Constitution for the Second Amendment. I don't know that we can look to the courts for support whenever it comes here. And unfortunately, I don't think we can depend on the current Supreme Court. Because if the current Supreme Court was interested in examining this, interested in, in treading into these waters, we should look at the case of Colby versus Hogan, which took on the extremely expensive, extremely dangerous Maryland assault weapons ban that I was in. It was an important case in that not only did it was it a full court decision, a full court on bond decision, overturning a panel decision. Panel decision struck this down. Panel decision said this law is so bad it needs to be looked under the scrutiny required uh, to uphold constitutionality, and it doesn't do it. The entire court, the full court, reviewed it, and they said, "No panel, you're wrong." This law is constitutional. In fact, the opinion written by Judge King, if you want to see, if you want to read an opinion that will raise the hair on the back of your neck about how dangerous it is, just read Judge King's opinion, the majority opinion in this case. It didn't have four dissenters. In fact, that case was so bad, Goldie versus Oda was so bad, he actually says in the first few paragraphs of the decision, that that court, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, affirmatively, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, affirmatively found that assault weapons and high capacity magazines were not entitled to any protection under the Second Amendment. And the Supreme Court did not take that case on through. They have let that decision stand, and I'm telling you that the anti gun advocates that are lawyers that know the case they're reading. They will throw that in your face every time. 
Oh yeah? Well, highest court to ever read this is read to say assault weapons and high-capacity babies are not protected by the Second Amendment. And that stood once the Supreme Court refused to hear it, November 27, 2017. So the large capacity magazines, well, they were really voted out probably moving right up on time, but uh, basically 10 round magazines not allowed after this. Third, the law does not have to make your guns that you have, but it says they're grandfathered. But it doesn't really allow you to do anything with them. Okay? It says that grand, now with a grandfathered assault weapon, that you now have an affirmative duty to make sure that nobody who is prohibited from possessing firearms will ever come in contact with them, including just simply uh, allowing them to. See so or touch it, it has to be locked away in a safe. And that's a duty that's on you, not on the person prohibited, but you as a lawful governor are now under threat of being punished if that becomes law. Grandfather Solomon's can only be transferred to an FFL versus transferring them to an unlicensed person. And in a step that has never been done by federal law, it would prohibit the intrastate non commercial transfer without going through an exchange. What the left likes to call the gun show loophole, which is just simply a non-commercial act of the interstate. Actually, in my opinion, that would violate the Congress law. That's the reason that intrastate non-commercial transactions between private parties are not regulated on the federal level right now. So the current liberal mantra is: hey, we just want common sense gun laws, but nobody is trying to take away your guns. I responded that of course, anytime you say that I am now prohibited from legally buying something in the future that I can buy today, you have to take away my gun. You take away my future gun. You take away the gun that I'm going to want after this gun law passes. So, yes, you have to take away the law. Now, of course, we know that you don't lose freedom all in one fell swoop. We know that the loss of freedom becomes incremental. It's the proverbial camel's nose under the deck. They want to see how far they push you. They want to see how far they do it. So I want to ask you this question. What do you think is going to happen if this law passes and one of these grandfathered assault weapons is used in a future mass shooting? What is going to be hue and cry? We all know the answer to that question. Just for those of you who don't, Get think of Australia because that's what we need to Now, I want to leave you with my own sort of ground crime because this is a terrible piece of legislation. It passed. Hopefully, it will never pass. But you don't have to wait until the legislation gets filed to find it because you stop anti gun legislation by stopping anti gun politicians. So that's why these midterms are so important. So go out and vote.
Democrats fund spot in gun control ads and selection cycle. More than a warning flare in the evening sky. The open acknowledgement that Democrats at all levels believe that the 2018 elections offer them a significant opportunity to take back Congress and state legislatures, for that matter, as well. And with your second amendment rights, instead of profits. You would say that HBR didn't pull any punches. It unabashedly noted that, and I'm going to quote again. Candidates across the country and live outside groups, namely the Bloomberg people, are seizing on the issue of guns and advertising this election cycle. Both express. More spots now promote gun control than oppose it. Clear to me that anti gun Democrats aren't worried about attacking gun owners. They evidently figure the momentum is on their side. Now, state campaign openly against Second Amendment rights exercised by 100 million American citizens. The USA Today story noted Democrats are driving the surge in advertising favoring gun control. They say polling shows the public generally supports stricter gun laws covering the sale of firearms and overwhelmingly supports background checks. The story went on from the quote again. It could be a gamble given the curbing access to guns that has long been considered the third rail of politics. For decades, U.S. Senate observed, or again, prominent Democratic candidates, especially in battleground states, have sought to reassure voters that they should strictly protect the Second Amendment and right to keep their arms. In quotes, in 2018, however, Report added, candidates and outside groups, particularly in the House and governor's races, are flooding the airways with pointed and sometimes dramatic messages. And newspaper illustrated quoting a statement from the Democratic candidate for governor of Florida. They are falling back on their favorite tactics of anti guns. It's for the children. This year, according to USA Today, chart that they published on the story. There's been an astounding 18,415 program controlled television spots against 8,897 spots in favor of gun rights. That's more than two to one in our negative direction. Back in 2016, to put this in perspective, it was completely the opposite situation. For 4,450 gun control spots, eclipsed. 12,979 spots supported gun rights for candidates running for office. Something is flipped from three to one on our side, two to one against us. I just got a bunch of chills running down my arms when you said that. There are many factors involved, for sure, including the February 14 high school shooting in Florida, hysteria of so called 3D printing with guns. Involved in crime in your cities like here in Chicago, Baltimore, Washington, DC, or significant other major democratic cities controlled by Democrats. At least the newspaper can be noted that rather than talking about gun control, most candidates' messages use other terms. They're talking about gun safety, strengthening gun laws, making communities safer, standing up to the gun line. Sorry, Gordon, Isabel James, 
identify the political director from Giffords again, like I moved by Dan Giffords, Congressman who shot in Arizona. That Canada um, Chief James said, I'm going to quote, have found a new way to talk to voters about the policies that they know voters support without suggesting that they support the Second Amendment or the right of responsible gun owners. This simply confirms what I've been saying for years. They're playing with semantics. They're still talking about the same thing. Gun control is just that. No matter what sub two phrase they use to conceal their intent. They've learned how to confuse voters, however. It's about the time for us to sit back and think your vote won't work or your contribution to a candidate won't count. Or to find some excuse for not voting or getting involved in this midterm elections that are coming up in less than 50 days. The Washington Post just reported that every time the United political action fund is spending millions of dollars supporting candidates in four particular states, underscoring the extent to which gun control is shaping up to be the issue in the upcoming November elections. The fund began the political arm of every town we were through. Plans to spend eight to ten million dollars in Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico alone as an initial investment in this election. It will include contributions to candidates as well as independent expenditures such as television, radio, and digital ads. John Feinblatt, president of the Council of Gunsavers, said this, and we quote, the old third rail warnings. Are out of the window, and you can redraw the map to work on gun safety virtually anywhere in this country. Likewise, the initial sum is a curtain raiser. It will come now, between now and the election. Every kind of strategy to change gun laws is focused on state houses, focused on individual races and outgrowth of that fund, that's fine, that's it. And resources being used with many groups of state that can make the most difference. Michael Bloomberg said he will spend $80 million out of his pocket to advance his agenda in this election of the law. In Georgia, the group is spending money on Democrat states and Ingrams to prioritize. Ingrams has called for universal background checks to repeal the state law that allows permit holders to carry guns on college campuses. The group is also working to elect Lucy Gabbat, who is running for Georgia's sixth congressional district. The best 17 year old son was fatally shot in 2012 in a dispute over loud music while sitting in his car at a gas station in Jacksonville, Florida. The death became a medical advocate after her son's death. I worked with every town. The group was giving her $1.2 million. Abrams and McBeth talked about gun safety and they reflect on her Georgia standard issue plan, as I said. In Michigan, Supporting Democrat Gretchen Whitmer for governor and Democrat Dana Eschel for attorney general. Whitmer has called for waiting periods for the background check by guns and a ban on assault weapons in bus stops. He was also trying to challenge the conventional wisdom that Canada's colored gun control fund guns cannot go in the West. In Nevada, it's intended to defeat Republican attorney general Adam Laxwell. Is running for governor. 
Laxalt proposed Bloomberg's 2016 ballot initiative was approved by the water voters to expand background checks. Laxalt and Governor refused to implement the law because it was so vague that it couldn't be implemented and it conflicted with federal law that the Foster Water would not be enforcing. They're being sued by Bloomberg right now in court. He was putting money into the campaign of Democratic opponents. In New Mexico, every county's acting fund is acting to be the royal candidacy of Democratic Michelle Grisham. She has said that if she's elected, she will work in bipartisan gun safety legislation, including banning semi automatic assault weapons, high capacity and aggregated, preventing people convicted of domestic violence, misdemeanors, and stalking misdemeanors. Buying firearms and studying ways to prevent gun violence. Bipartisan, common sense, gun safety, these are terms that match the ultimate goal of gun prohibition. We as gun owners must step up our involvement in these midterm elections and tell Bloomberg that our constitutional and civil rights are not for sale. Bloomberg and his eight gun groups have been away with by every election they could. Now let's take a look at the real balance of my first slide up. Not exactly the slide I expected, because mine's a little different than the same data. There's 11 key races that will determine who controls the United States Senate. Four of them right now in the data leading Democrat. Montana, Nevada, Ohio, and West Virginia. Five across the states make polls, mainly meaning that the polling data shows that the margin area can turn into a good way at this point. Florida, Indiana, Missouri, Tennessee, and Arizona. Two leading Republicans, North Dakota and Texas. In Arizona and Nevada, the Republican incumbents. In the other states, they're, they're, they're Democrat incumbents, with the exception of Tennessee and open seat. These are the critical races that we need to be involved in. So if you live in those states, you know what to do. It's easy. If you don't live in those states, there's still things you can do. Still time early on to make donations to key candidates in those races and support gun rights. If you have friends or relatives in those states, you can get directly involved and let them know. There are also different ways on places on the internet that, that you can find uh, right now on NRA's website and other places that will help you go into data banks of gun owners that you can pull from your own house, your own cell phone in those new states, turn out your vote. Next slide. Governors and that goes to the housing. The House of Representatives is going to be, I think, 26 seats is what's needed to flip it from programming to anti gun, basically, where anti gun legislation can flow. There are 79 key races that were determined in those 26 seat changes with my cabinet. Switch control. 13 Democrats. I'm not going to go through all of them. There must be 30 across those states, 36 new Republicans. Right here in Illinois, four of those decisions are counted on this list. We have Illinois 6 and Illinois 12 in toss-ups right now in the margin of errors. 
And you have Illinois 13, Illinois 14, the leading company, but but those are lost, you can probably assume at that point that the House of Representatives can go. Those four districts in this state alone, and I know a lot of you doing this day, need to get your involvement immediately. Those four districts are key to the 26 that need to retain and keep control. On the governor's side, there are 19 key races for governor right now that, are, that could impact changes in those states. Four leading Democrats, Senator Tosta, and eight leading Republicans. The Tosta one, the, the one leading Democrat, Hawaii, which is interesting, the leans Democrat, and it's not definitely in their column, but I think that's one that's pretty convenient almost at this point to call solid Democratic victories. Illinois, which is another state which I unfortunately have only had an island yet, and that is new column, so which is pretty new to the Democratic column. As you know, the Democrat Illinois are the worst of the irascible for gun rights. Then there's New Mexico and Colorado. The seven toss-up states are Florida, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, Alaska, and Connecticut. I think we're going to be okay on the Alaska one because the anti gun vote is probably going to be split up two ways because it's a three way race. I think that's going to fall out okay. The eighth that we move up in are Iowa, Kansas, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Arizona. Almost all of those, are, I think, are going to be victories. I mean, one of the most concerned about is Arizona. That, well, after Wisconsin, is one of the most concerned about. That's where all the action is. Virtually every other race in the country for Congress, Senate, or governors, that doesn't matter, there aren't going to be any changes. Those are the races that are determined after November. It's in fact, our fight for freedom wins or loses. We all know that in 2016, the in four or five key states is what put Trump in the White House. We can do it again. We're fighting odds on pulling down, on money being spent against us, on keeping a radio spot being used against us. We can do it. We did it in 2016, we can do it in 2018. But right now, between now and election day, is the most important thing any of us can do. I'm counting on you to not, I, 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 I pretty much know I can count on you. As people you contact with, friends, family, church members, other people that need to be worked on. So please do everything you can. This will make my job a whole lot easier in the next 12 months if we stand up now and win this fight for freedom. Thank you. With that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we, we will uh, take a recess until tomorrow morning. Downstairs, we have a reception. Uh, All right, thanks everybody who is still watching. Uh, food, food, it's in the